Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. We have an interesting show to you today. We're going to shake the format up just a little bit for this week. I'm taking a little bit of vacation time with my family, but you are not going to be getting a substandard show. You are going to be getting a fantastic show. And I, I plan on delivering that because I think you're going to enjoy a lot of the content that you are about to consume. We'll start off with a recap of UFC Fight Night Fizia versus Dos Anjos, the battle of the Raphaels or Hafaels or however you'd like to pronounce either of their names. This is going to be with UFC bantamweight Johnny Munoz. He watched the entire card and happy to have him join me to go fight by fight and break down what we saw this past Saturday. Nice to speak with Johnny, my first time speaking with him, and have him join me for this week's recap. And then, we've just got a load of interviews to get to for you to enjoy. But first and foremost, the champ of the welterweight division, the pound-for-pound king right now, Kamaru Uzma, joins me on the show. Very excited to speak with him once again. His mentality is just so unshakable. It's, it's very it's difficult to explain. But just the way that this guy approaches things, it's really... It's unparalleled in the sport. Uh, you can tell why he's so great when you when you hear him talk and hear his mentality going into things. And just a very thoughtful individual. Always a pleasure to speak with him. We'll also be joined by one of the main event competitors in this weekend's card, Brian Ortega, who's taking on Yair Rodriguez on this Saturday's card on Long Island, not in Long Island, on Long Island. I've been corrected, and uh, I will not make that same mistake again. Got to uh, say to the the people of Long Island. I, you know, on Twitter I said in Long Island, and I was quickly corrected by one of the uh, the folks from the region. Also joined by some other competitors on the card, Shane Burgos, who's taking on Charles Jordan. Both of them will be joining me on the show, Burgos and Charles. I, I love speaking with both these guys, two of the nicest guys in the sport. I actually lament the fact that I have to watch these guys compete against one another because I just, uh, I like them both so much, so... And I know that well, the kind of fight that this is going to be, it's going to take, uh, it could potentially take some time off of their fight careers because these two guys are incredible action fighters, two of the most exciting guys in the featherweight division that's loaded with exciting fighters. And in fact, the card's headlined by two exciting featherweights as well. So really looking forward to speaking with those two individuals as well. Also going to be joined by Eamon Zahabi, who won his fight this past weekend against Ricky Tercios. Spoke to him last week. Spoke to him again after the fact. He walked me through how he said he was going to win the fight and basically did it to a T. So always enjoy getting to pick the brain of a uh, tactician like Eamon Zahabi. Likes to have a little bit of fun. I don't know if you saw him on the MMA Hour uh, dressed up like Halwani. They, they, do, they do look alike. At first, I thought it might be a little bit of a stretch. Then you see them next to him. And you see all these people that are putting Halwani's face on Eamon, like a face swap app. It, it looks similar. It looks similar. Both from Montreal. Both uh, of Middle Eastern heritage. Interesting. But uh, he'll be joining me as well. And finally, Archie Colgan, one of the new signees with Bellator MMA. Uh, a Big 12 champion in collegiate wrestling. 4-0. Going to be making his well his first Bellator fight since signing the contract. His second Bellator fight in total. Very, very soon. In uh, just a couple of weeks at Bellator 283. So happy to speak with... Uh, that young man, nice guy, who I think has a very big future in the sport. So let's get into it. Here's a recap of UFC Fight Night, Dos Anjos versus Fiziev with UFC bantamweight, Johnny Munoz. 
That was the monologue, and now we're going to recap UFC Fight Night. Fiziev versus Dos Anjos with none other than bantamweight Johnny Munoz, who watched the entire card and I, you know, was able to get through it. I know that, the, you know, sort of a slog at times in order to do this with me, so I appreciate you, Johnny. Um, the main event, I thought, was a really good one. Rafael Fiziev gets a fifth-round knockout against Rafael Dos Anjos. A lot of questions about Fiziev and uh, how his gas tank would hold up. Seemed to hold up fine, slowed down a little bit in the fourth, but then seemed to get a real second wind going into that fifth. Yeah, man. Well, first off, I appreciate you for me, and uh, I'm excited to be on here with you to do this. And yeah, like there's some that stood out to me on this car. There's a couple of them uh, that uh, I'm not. I'm just gonna be honest. They weren't the most exciting. Uh, wasn't the most starstruck car. But at the same time, cars like these are good, man, because it also sheds light on other people in different divisions that maybe we haven't heard of to give these guys a spotlight. So. Um, it's also a great thing to have cards like these. And then that main event, I thought it was a great technical main event as well. And uh, it was a, a great test for Fazeev. And it was a fight I think we all needed to see to see what he was capable of. I think we got that answer after Saturday night. So when you're in the corner going into a round, let's say you've had a, a round where you're starting to slow down a little bit. What happens in the corner that gives a fighter that second wind? Because I know Nick Lentz was in his face saying, you know, getting him hyped up. And it seemed like he came out of the corner like a bat out of hell in the fifth round. Yeah, I don't I think sometimes, like for me, like when a coach, that's in those situations, like when a coach gets on you, I mean, you got to have like trust in your coaches, you know, and maybe you have a certain connection with them. I'm not too sure how physique's connection is with his corner, but sometimes a coach or the cornerman could say a certain thing that just triggers in your mind and it really gets you to, man, I need to go out there and finish this guy or I'm going to go out there and, and just, you know, hit this guy or whatever it may be. And I feel like that's kind of what happened. Whatever they told him in the corner over there, you know, I think it really just got to his head, got to his mind. He was like, going to go out there and finish. Because it was a close fight. I had Fazeev winning. But uh, you never know in this sport, you know what I mean? Especially Vegas, judges. So I think he kind of went out there with, uh, I need a finish. And I think his corner was being honest with him. Yeah, absolutely. You never know. It was a pretty close fight. I think that it was... uh... The first two rounds I thought were clear Fazeev rounds, and then third round I, I gave to Fazeev as well, and the, thir- the fourth round I thought was a pretty clear round for Dos Anjos. So uh, you just never know, like you said, what the judges are seeing case like. They don't have the same vantage point. You know, we're watching it on the broadcast. I actually made a point uh, during one of the fights that we'll talk about later, Tercios versus Eamon Zahabi. I said, I think Zahabi's clearly winning. But if you're watching cage side and you're watching Tercios do all this flashy stuff, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors there that can get a judge to think that more is going on than is actually happening. Um, I said, you know, you could live bet Ricky Tercios right now at plus 300 going into the third round because you just don't know. And I was actually partially correct because had Tercios won that third round, he would have won the fight on the judges' scorecard. So it's one of those things where, especially if you're looking to bet on the sport and you can bet it live, you can notice certain fights if you're paying attention. The judges might be seeing it differently from the way that you are at home in, in those kind of circumstances where there's a lot happening and maybe you just can't gauge what the impact of a strike is in certain situations. Yeah, man, that's the thing as well. I mean, a lot of people, like, place bets. Like, I have friends, teammates, they place bets, and they will go to decision, they lose out on money. But it's one of those things, like, where the judges don't, you know, they don't get the, the the tally on the strikes. Like, that stuff they don't see, you know. I mean, they're just sitting at cage side. They're, you know, watching the fights. And I think sometimes, honestly, I don't even think they know, like, man, who who do I go with? Okay, this guy's over here, like, screaming, shouting. 
he looks confident. Oh, I'm, I'm going to give the nod to this guy. You know what I mean? And I think uh, that's why sometimes as a fighter, it's always good to show that uh, not, not like if it goes to distance, don't put your head down, you know, act proud like you won. You know what I mean? I think things like that really play uh, dividend in, in the judges' scorecards because they, a lot of times not able to see, as you said on the broadcast, they're not able to see the total strikes. They're just kind of looking over oh, well, this fight looks close. But okay, this guy looks like he thinks he won. This guy looks unsure. I think I'm going to go with this guy just to not cause any problems. And me, like I come from a jiu-jitsu Brazilian background. Uh, I've refed many jiu-jitsu tournaments, and there's been times where I had to pick a winner if the if it was a tie score, and it's like a tough thing. Like, who do I go? If there's times I didn't know who to go, with, I'm gonna go with this guy because he thinks he looks like he he thinks he won. The other guy uh, has doubts that he didn't win. So, yeah, that could very well play into it as well. I mean, I know judges score round by round, so who knows? Maybe they just look at body posture at the end of a round and say, who looks like, who would I rather be in this situation? But that's not really the way that I guess they're supposed to score. Now, a lot of these guys are veteran judges. They just, you know, people give them flack, but at the same time, they're, they're focused 100% on what's going on in the fight in the moment. And the statisticians, even though they're tallying strikes, maybe they don't think a certain uh, strike is significant that was significant. It's just, it's all, it's all, there's a lot of nuance to mixed martial arts um, and, and these fights. And the reason I said the thing about Tercios is like, he threw something like 40 strikes and landed four. So he landed only yeah. 10% of his strikes. But if you're a judge sitting cage side, you're not watching on monitors, you're watching directly and his back's to you or the opponent's back's to you, you might think that a strike is connected and, and it didn't. And you might just be looking at the volume and Eamon Zahabi was landing good strikes, but nothing that would be like no knockdowns or anything that was really taking Tercios out of his game. So sometimes if you're a judge, you're seeing a lot of volume at the, at the time and you don't know what to make of it. No, for sure. I mean, that's the thing too, because when I was watching the fight, for me, I was like, okay, Zahabi's winning. He's sitting back countering. He's doing a lot more backing up, but he was just waiting uh, for Ricky to come in and was landing a lot of the counter strikes where Ricky was doing a lot of the flashy stuff but wasn't landing. But like a, like you mentioned, a judge could look at that different. Oh, this guy's being more offensive. He's landing trickier stuff. I'm gonna get, I think he won the round. And they don't even know the, the total strikes on that. But I have a question for you. So let's say Ricky would have got the nod on the fight. You know what I mean? Let's say he would have won the fight. Would you have agreed with it? No, I gave Eamon all three rounds. My, my, the, po yeah. <laughs> the point that I okay, had made okay. was that if you're a judge from a certain vantage point, if you're seeing a fight and you're not, no, you're not able to see exactly what's going on and you're seeing a lot of volume and a lot of output, if you're not seeing what's connecting because maybe a fighter's back's to you or an opponent's back, you know, the other fighter's back's to you, it's, it's difficult to really gauge what's going on in a fight like that because while Eamon was landing, I think, the much cleaner shots, the more accurate shots, he was really picking his spots, more strategic and that's why I gave him all three rounds. If you look at the scorecards after the fact, two of the judges had the first round for Tercios. So even though Tercios landed 10% of his strikes based on the official stats, two of the judges thought that he won because, again, I think that the, there's a lot of flash. And uh, I would have totally disagreed with the decision had uh, Tercios won, but I could understand how a judge sitting cage side not looking at a monitor might think that Tercios did more than he actually did. But how do you, th how do you think you fix that problem? Say if, if, if Ricky would have won the you know what I mean? When if guys are, if judges are giving guys like the round for all this flashy stuff, when in reality they're not really landing, they're not being accurate. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a matter of making sure the judges have monitors so they, they can see the broadcast feed, and that way they don't have any blind spots. 
that's probably the best that I could do in that situation in terms of how to actually fix a problem like that. Because I don't know, the thing about stats is, in MMA, they're kind of subjective. I mean, I know that they have statisticians that are tasked with putting these numbers together. And not all strikes are created equal. So if somebody lands four strikes in a round and the other guy lands 20 strikes, if those four strikes are more impactful, based on the scoring criteria, the person that lands those four strikes should win that round. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's wild, man. It's crazy. I, I, MMA is just super complicated. You know what I mean? I know everybody always wants to, like, how can we make it better? But it's just it's super hard. It's not like other sports, you know what I mean? It's just there's a lot going on in it. And... Yeah, it's a tough question to answer for sure. Well, to me, I think the the prime thing is just education. Like, I don't think that enough people know the scoring criteria or how fights are scored. So if people think, oh, yeah. that judge, how did that judge score that round for that person? That's terrible. If they don't know what they're watching in terms of how a fight is scored, I'm sure they know what they're watching in terms of the sport itself. But if, if they don't know how fights are scored, be it a coach, a fighter, a person watching at home, an analyst, it, you can't really criticize the judges because they're – they know what they're scoring. They know what they're looking for because they've done courses. They're they're credentialed. So that's that's where I think yeah. the, the big divide is: is not enough people actually know the scoring criteria and how fights are scored. But I I feel like even the scoring criteria, I feel like it isn't. It's just it's weird sometimes. You know what I mean? Because you will see certain fights. I don't know. It's just it's just weird to me a lot of times. I feel like because it's MMA. I feel like we're scored more like on a boxing criteria. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're, you're 100% right. So th- that's, the, yeah. that's the thing that I agree with you on is like if you are going to actually fix how fights are scored or, or what you're going to do, personally, I think there should be a decimal system because you're taking a boxing system that's meant for what, 9, 12 rounds and putting it into yes. a three-round sport, which makes no sense to me. So I, I would say if I could make a change, if it was up to me, you, you give me the, the crown and put me in charge of <laughs> MMA rules. I'd say you just change the scoring criteria to be 10 to 9.5, 10 to 9. Just put a decimal in there. Because then if you have a really close round, it's not going to make or break the fight. And then the, the fighters that land, um, you know, have the better rounds, then I think the decimal system, you know, if it's, a 10, if it's close to a 10-8 round, but it's like, yeah, I don't think they did just enough, then you can get a 10 to 8.5 round. So a dominant round will still give you a leg up on your opponents. And then personally, if I, if I can make one more alteration... I would take the decimals out of rounds four and five. Make them have more weight. So if you win the, the championship rounds, those actually give you, you know, they're, they're worth more. But again, that, this is just me tinkering around and maybe, yeah. maybe it makes it worse. Who knows? Yeah, no, I agree with that because championship rounds, I mean, that's a good point as well. That should have more significance. Uh, more significance. Uh, just because, you know, it's, it's a championship fight, you know, or if it's a main event fight as well, that would be the same fourth, fifth round. Uh, it should have more weight on it because like a lot of the guys you'll see, they've never been in the fourth, fifth round and they might tire out or you see the other guy coming up more on top. And sometimes you just see better fights in the fourth and fifth round. So I, I, de- I definitely think it should have more weight as well. And I'm going to spoil an interview that's uh, going to air a little bit later on, but I spoke to Charles Jordan last week. It's just as relevant to this. And he was saying, we were talking about Josh Emmett, and his win over Calvin Cater. And he was saying, well, Cater won rounds four and five. So in like a real fight, if it's going to continue, Cater's going to ultimately probably win that fight. So his, that, that was the point he was making is like, so the championship rounds, as the fight keeps going on and on and on, if it is a true fight, not in like the, the confines of the, the, I guess the rounds and the, how the rounds are scored, who's actually going to win the fight in, you know, if it was to continue. So I, that was an interesting yeah. point to me as well. 
Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point too. I mean, but then like a, a critic would argue too. Well, we're not gonna fight all day. You know what I mean? So I could beat you up like five rounds, but say we go six rounds and then you beat me up the sixth round. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know, man. But it's definitely I would definitely like to see like a little the change on the scoring system. I think what you mentioned was like cool, like the decimal and all that. Uh, but I definitely think something needs to change. You know what I mean on the scoring system for sure. Yeah, I just think, I agree with you. I think that it's a boxing system that doesn't fit in MMA. And I, I think that's, if they were going to make a change, that's the way I would make it. But then then again, you're giving judges judges more options that people are going to be like, you thought that was a 10 to 9 and a half round? That was a 10 9 round. And people are just going to argue no matter what's done. That's just, I guess, the nature of decisions <laughs> in general and, and judgments. Um, uh, let's go to the co main event. Kyle Baraglio defeats Armin Petrosian. It seemed like. Baraglio almost won the fight on control, which is kind of based on the scoring criteria. Isn't really the way that a judge would score a fight, but uh, I thought that he did enough to win that fight. But it was kind of a slog in terms of the, we talked about some fights that were uh, a little bit uh, less pleasing to the eye. This was one of those. Yeah, for sure. No, well, when that fight, the first round, when I was watching, as soon as he hit the takedown, he hit it fairly easy. So I was thinking, okay, uh, he might actually like get a finish like what was jiu-jitsu and all that stuff because typically i mean you get an early takedown coming from a grappling background it's going to benefit you there's less sweat going on uh submissions are a little cleaner to get versus you're in the third round all sweaty submissions slip out guys are slipping out not even on really technique just because you know the slippery the sweat on the body but yeah when he hit that takedown okay but then you know the fight kept going on but definitely i mean all the rounds were just like control. I thought he kept hitting the takedown. Uh, third round, I mean, he, I think he missed one takedown where, where he was getting a little out, out strike for a minute, but then he kind of went back to the takedown, ultimately won on control, as you said. So, I mean, it wasn't the most exciting fight, but definitely he controlled the fight fairly easy, in my opinion. My favorite part was at the end where he called out Drikas Duplessis. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna put it on a performance like that, that's like not super exciting. At least if you have a call-out like that, a guy that was throwing absolute hammers last weekend, and you're, you're, <laughs> you're summoning the courage to call that guy out, because that guy, I couldn't believe the shots he was hitting Brad Taveras with last week, that Taveras was able to survive those. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he, he probably thinks he could get him to the mat. I don't know. But I feel like that, that's, that'd be a, definitely a tough fight for him, for sure. And uh, you obviously want to get a good, uh, an exciting performance when you make call-outs like that as well, because then, Maybe matchmakers or even fans might not be so inclined to, you know, see that fight happen when you don't have such a great, exciting performance. And you want to give the guy a pass because his last three fights, his two on Contender Series and his first fight in the UFC were very exciting fights. So, you know, I I think you you give the guy a pass. This isn't the way he normally fights. He wanted to implement a good strategy against a striking-based fighter that he thought he could exploit with takedowns. He did that. We move on. Uh, Speaking of moving on to your division, Saeed Nurmagomedov defeats Douglas Da Silva Andrade. Uh, sorry, Douglas Silva D'Andrage. I got that one backwards. Um, a unanimous decision win. Good gut check for Saeed Nurmagomedov. That's a tough opponent to face in your division. Very, very tough guy in Andrage. Um, and I think that uh, he, he looked good in that fight. I thought that he did enough to win. But, uh, you know, he comes into the fight with back-to-back knockouts in the first minute. I think people expected him to do a little bit more. No, I mean, Silva is a, is a tough dude, man. He's been around for a while. I know people probably thought, oh, this guy's like, I think he's 37. Uh, but people were probably like, man, this guy's old, he's on his way out, but the dude was tough. In my opinion, I thought it was a super close fight. I didn't really know who the judges were going to give it to uh, towards the end, uh, because I felt Silva was putting the pressure, making the fight happen, 
where Saeed was on on his bike for a minute, but he was landing a lot of kicks. Um, and, I, and when Silva had him down a couple times on the mat, he was being the more aggressor. Uh, but I definitely thought, like, towards the third round, Saeed was, like, taking more control of the fight. And uh, I thought it was a good back-and-forth fight, honestly. I think both both those guys are tough guys for anyone in the Bantamweight division. So I, I was definitely watching that fight. Yeah, it's a good uh, good learning experience. I, and I dug up a stat that I, uh, I keep track of. Fighters with the name Magomed in their name in the UFC have won 85% of their fights. So just add it, add it to the tally. Mag, with Magomed? Yeah, so like Khabib Nurmagomedov, Saeed Nurmagomed, Magomed Ankalaev. So if you have an opponent that they offer you in the UFC and they have Magomed in their name, I'm just saying, they won 85% of their fights. You might want to steer, steer clear, but that's not the fighter's mentality. I'm, I'm just putting in mathematics here. Gotcha. I didn't, well, that's good to know. <laughs> uh, Chase Sherman defeats Jared Vandera. Third round knockout. Very close fight up until it wasn't. Um, I think Chase Sherman really needed a win like that. I, I keep seeing, that this is the, I think, was the fourth or fifth straight time that Chase Sherman's been on the main card of a UFC fight and doesn't really have a very good record in the UFC, but it seems like the UFC like putting these heavyweight fights like third from the top of every card. Yeah, well, I mean, there's not. I feel like there's not a lot of heavyweights or like star power in heavyweights. Uh, tough guys, definitely, but I feel like maybe that's probably why they do it. And because I think Jared too, he's been in a, quite a few main 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 cards as well. Uh, but like you said, it was a cl- close back and forth fight. Heavyweight fights usually happen quick. These guys were having a long, it seemed like a long fight until uh, it wasn't in the third round. And uh, I was rooting for Jared, man. I don't know. I was, I was hoping he could get the nod on it. But, uh, yeah, the ref stepped in. He was just taking too many shots, and I thought it was a good stoppage as well. I think he had he survived that round, he would have won on the scorecards, unless it was like a 10-8. But, uh, so he, he was doing well. But it's heavyweights, like you said. It's a lot of volatility at, at all times in fights like that. Uh, back to your divisions of hobby and Tercios. We kind of discussed this one already, but uh, yeah, I was just very confused by Ricky Tercios's strategy going into this one. It seemed like it was just a lot of like you know yelling and uh, you know spinning stuff, but nothing really of significance connected throughout the fight, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it was. I felt it was it was a weird fight, uh, especially at the bantamweight division where you're seeing guys you know, like coming in like a lot of movement, fast. Technical. Not saying these guys were not technical at all. Like both of these guys are tough fights, but sometimes I don't know. Maybe their styles. Because certain times styles just don't match up right with each other. And I don't know if that was a thing. What happened here? Like they were like Ricky wasn't getting the reads right, the distance. He was throwing things. Where Zahabi was sitting back, just watching, countering him, kind of being the veteran in a way. You know what I mean? Just watching his opponent. But it, it definitely was a a weird fight. Um, I wonder how, like, uh, matchmakers, I, I don't think it was the matchmaker's favorite fight, you know what I mean? I'm sure you'd like to face either of those two guys, I, if I if I were to guess. Yeah, I mean, the, I was, those are two opponents that I wouldn't like mind fighting. Uh, those are guys I had in mind, like, a couple months ago before I was scheduled to fight Gravely. That was, oh, like, you know, Ricky would be a, a good guy to fight, he just won the Ultimate Fighter show. So why not fight that guy? He has a little hype. He won the fighter show. Uh, Eamon's a hobby as well. You know what I mean? He beat a, he knocked out Draco Rodriguez, whose opponent I was supposed to fight back in King of the Cage. And I was watching that fight. So I was like, oh, maybe Draco will win. And I'll get to fight Draco since we didn't get a fight back in the day. And then Eamon won. So I was like, I didn't even know who Eamon was at that time. Like, never seen him fight. And so I was like, oh, maybe I could fight that guy. But for sure, like, 
both these guys, like, it would be cool to get it on with either one. Well, I, I'm thinking Eamon might want to fight again in October. That's around your timetable. So who knows? Maybe the, the stars will align for that one. Uh, Jamie Malarkey defeats Michael Johnson. Fight of the night, I think, very clearly. I thought, they went, I thought they went the wrong way on this one, personally. I had Johnson winning rounds one and three. No, I agree with you. I was just going to say that. I want to see your thoughts on it. I thought when it went like to the judge scorecards, okay, Johnson got the nod on this. I mean, they gave it the other way. I was like, man. And uh, it was a good fight. They were going back and forth. Johnson, like, rocked him, knocked him down. And Johnson's a dangerous guy, man. Uh, but Malarkey, I think, like, he showed his durability. He got to showcase what he was. I didn't agree with the decision, but, I mean, it was it was a close fight. It wasn't like... I wouldn't call it a robbery, but I still thought Johnson won. And I was even thinking, like, like had Johnson won, like, I'd want to see him fight Bobby Green. Like, that's the fight, like, I think would be a cool fight, Johnson versus Bobby Green. Uh, but I don't know if that would happen now. I think it still could, but I don't know. I think Malarkey versus Bobby Green would be a good fight, too. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they, I don't think, think they've fought before. Yeah, you know what? I I just think that when you take durable guys like a Jamie Malarkey and you put them in against Bobby Green, it usually ends up being a fun fight. I'm actually just going to check because I feel like, for some reason, I feel like they fought before, but I might be wrong. No, no. He, he no, not fought him. Yeah. So I think that would be a fun fight. I mean, Bobby Green against Michael Johnson would still be a great fight if they want to make that one. Um, Jim Miller versus Michael Johnson. I don't know if they've fought before. It seems like they've both fought everybody in the UFC, but I don't know if they, their uh, paths have crossed, but. <laughs> That would be a fun one, too. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I thought they went the wrong way. I, I personally thought the knockdown in the first round for Johnson was the most significant thing that happened. But Malarkey was tough, and he landed a lot of really good strikes after the fact. Like, he came back, and he was in his face. But I just personally would value the knockdown more than what Malarkey threw at him. I, it was a close fight. It's hard to call it, like, a robbery or anything like that. It did seem like the, the majority of people thought that Johnson won. So that's the surprising part to me. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I thought he won, too, but they went the other way. That's fighting. Uh, Cody Brundage defeats uh, Treshawn Gore uh, four minutes into the first round, roughly. Um, I thought that Brundage looked great in this fight, and uh, I didn't like this matchup for Treshawn Gore. I thought that if it got into wrestling exchanges, Brundage would have the advantage. And I think Brundage has just been showing lots of incremental improvements from fight to fight. Nah, for sure. Like uh, when when I seen this fight, I was already leaning towards Brundage. Uh, but then he got the like the takedown early. So I thought I thought he was probably gonna rest some more, and I don't. But then they, they got back on the feet, and I think he just he just packs a punch, man. Like I think that typical overhand, uh, just like wrestler, wrestler, strong wrestler, overhand right, and that that connected and put put him lights out on a uh, Gore. But I that was a, a cool fight, you know. That got me off my chair a little bit. Not like cool fight because it was a cool finish, you know what I mean? Because some of the other fights weren't as exciting, so we actually got to see a finish of that one. So that was, I thought it was a great win for him. Yeah, definitely one of the more exciting fights uh, of the night um, in terms of what happened in that one. Trace on Gore talking all, all kinds of stuff during the, the week of, and, you know, Brundage silenced him. But yeah, the, the point that I made going into this fight was like, Brundage was the underdog. And I said, had Brundage been on the Ultimate Fighter that same season with Trace on Gore, with Brian Battle, I think he would have won. Like, I, I think that he would have been the best fighter on the show if you would have put him on there. So I know that these guys get a lot of rub from being on the Ultimate Fighter because you get to know them, you know their skill set. Gore was really good on the show. But I, I just think that Brundage at this stage in his career has just a, is a better, more well-rounded fighter. No, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, to the average fan, that maybe, I don't know, they're not studying all these fights. They're not going to know a guy like Brundage, but they're going to recognize a guy 
that's been on the Ultimate Fighter show, like say, like you mentioned, had he been on the Ultimate Fighter show, like that's gonna give him more weight. Oh, credibility. Oh, this guy's tough. We know his personality. Uh, we're gonna we'll make him the favorite. You know what I mean? Uh, but it's not always the case. Cause in my opinion, just because you're on, on the Ultimate Fighter show doesn't it doesn't mean everything. Everyone has a different path to get here to the UFC, and uh, I think it's wise to do your homework on guys before. Uh, you know, I mean, you predict a winner or you're going to place hard-earned money on who you think is going to win. Don't just do it on because, oh, this guy's more popular. I know more about this guy. Anthony Neshevchenko defeats uh, Courtney Casey, split decision. Another one I think I would have gone the other way on. I think that when you're looking at damage and you're, you're scoring it based on that, I thought that Casey landed more often for back in the first round that would have scored more with the judges than just having control like Shevchenko had. Second round, I thought Shevchenko was winning, but then at the end, Casey landed probably the best strikes of the round. Probably still would have gone Shevchenko in that round. And then in the third round, I thought Casey won that round. In fact, Casey clearly won that round. So kind of a toss-up based on who you thought won the first round. Definitely wouldn't call it a robbery. I just personally saw more from Casey in the first round um, and would have given it to her. Yeah, like Casey was like like the more aggressor in a sense where Antonina was kind of sitting back, you know, keeping her distance. She was throwing the heel kick a lot, which I liked. I feel like that was like, kind of controlling the fight a lot of times but the heel kick just that little slap keeping Casey at bay but I don't know man I had, like it would it would be a fight like I, I'd have to like rewatch it it was super close I didn't I didn't know who to go with I kind of see what gave it Antonina I feel like she was like uh like I said keeping distance throwing the heel kicks just being the more rangy fighter where Casey was being more aggressive but if you look at it that way too like I could see why you gave it to her but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, like, very close to me. Yeah, very, very close fight. Uh, David Onama defeats Garrett Armfield. Uh, Onama was about a 9-1 to favorite in this one. But I was impressed with Armfield. I thought he looked really good in the first round. Still gave the round to Onama. But he was, listen, when, when you're a, a, that big of an underdog, you're not expected to have much of a chance. And I thought he looked really good. He's fighting out of his weight class, fighting at 45 instead of 35. Was basically on a farm six days ago when he got the call to take the fight. <laughs> on that kind of short notice against the guy in Onama, who I've, I've been very impressed with. I think is a real up-and-comer in the featherweight division. So I'm eager to see what, Gar- what uh, Garrett Armfield does moving back down to his natural weight class at 135. I think he'll actually probably have some success in the UFC. I didn't even know he was a 135-er. But I heard he did take the fight on short notice, so that makes sense. Yeah, I thought it was a good fight. You know, like, it seemed very competitive early on, you know, back-and-forth action. And... It was just close until, like, obviously the fight started going longer, and then David uh, Onama started, you could see, just started creeping up on him on Armfield. And then uh, I thought the arm triangle was cool as well. And uh, Onama comes out, he's from Glory MMA, correct? Yeah, he trains with James Krause and uh, Jeff Molina out there. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great camp to, to be out of, and I feel like he had the right advice in the corner, and he mixed it up well with the striking the clinch work and then got the submission at the end and that's what true MMA is all about you know what I mean you get to see complete fighting not just one aspect of fighting if you're just a wrestler that's gonna lay on somebody a striker that's gonna move around or just a jiu-jitsu guy maybe trying to pull guard but I feel like you got to show display all of the skills and I think fighter that's always cool because you get a showcase to the matchmakers you know Dana was watching the, the rest of the division that you're a complete fighter and I think that's somebody you know to be to keep your eye on the somebody like oh man maybe i don't want to fight that guy he looks like a complete fighter he's not just one dimensional 
Kennedy and Zechiku defeats Carl Roberson. I thought that Roberson was going to have more success in this fight. I thought that he'd have a good speed advantage and having a kickboxing background, I thought that he might have more success. But this was one-way traffic for Zechiku. It looked fantastic in this fight. Yeah, with... Does he have a wrestling background or no? Inzejuku's kind of he's kind of newer to the sport, so he, his background is kind of varied. But he's he's pretty good everywhere the fight goes. Yeah, from watching, I was like, man, this guy has a heavily wrestling background. He just kept taking him down, controlling him. I mean, most of the fight was against uh, was against him on the cage, correct? Like, I mean, that's, yeah, he, he, he was he was Robinson bringing him down. I thought I thought it was just a really sound strategy from Safe Saud. You know, Roberson has had yeah. issues with takedown defense, and he's a much smaller guy. He's fought mostly at middleweight. I, you know, Nzechuk was a huge light heavyweight. He's six foot five, has similar reach to John Jones. Like, he just has all these different variables that give him advantages in that fight. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, it's a smart game plan when you, if you're fighting like a guy that's more of a stri- coming from a striking base down the fence. So I don't blame him. I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to go in these fights with a strategy to win. At the end of the day, you got to get in there and fucking win. You know what I mean? No, nobody cares about that. Everybody wants to watch like a, like a super exciting fight, but you got to go in to win. So like, I thought it was a good strategy, and he got the got the finish in the third round with the ground and pound, which was brutal. I think he just wore his, wore him out and just ultimately just kind of just took his soul away with the ground and pound. And the first fight of the night, back to your division, Said Yakub Kakramanov. This guy looks like a real problem against Ronnie Lawrence. I, I was very impressed with Lawrence and what he had done to this point. Um, was, a, was an underdog on Contender Series, won his fight, and then had looked good in his two subsequent UFC fights. But uh, Kakramanov just completely handled him in this fight. Yeah, I'm going to butcher this guy's name. I don't even know. How, like, you can just call him Saeed. I would, <laughs> Saeed. Yeah, I was uh, yeah watching this fight. I didn't... I was leaning towards Ronnie Lawrence, honestly, um, just because uh, he, you mentioned he was like the underdog and contenders, and he won his last two fights, you know, heavily, kind of like on wrestling. Obviously, he's just striking, got heavy hands, but seeing him get thrown around like that, I was like, oh shit, you know what I mean? I thought it really showcased how good Saeed is and how, you know, dangerous he is in the division, just throwing him around, using his judo, sambo, controlling the fight. And uh, I don't think Ronnie Lawrence is, was used to that style of fighter, you know, where somebody's putting the pressure on him, trying to grapple him, trying to take him down. And I think it kind of threw him off. I don't think he was expecting that. And I think that's why Saeed was just able to have his way with them on all three rounds. And it was definitely uh, you know, a, good, a good performance on his end. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people find you on social media? And uh, when, when are you hoping to get back in there? Any, any opponents you have in mind? Yeah, so you guys can find me on social media, at Kid Kavimbo. Uh, if you don't know how to spell that, Johnny Munoz, but it's at Kid Kavimbo. On Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I have a YouTube page, all that good stuff, so you can follow me on there. And uh, I would like to get back in, hopefully, September, October. If I'm being more realistic, probably October, because I'm starting to see, like, September cards being filled up, so we'll say October. And... Yeah, I mean, who who would I fight? There's so many guys in the division. I don't, I'm not a guy to just to, to throw names out, but any any of the bantamweights to like fought on the card uh, was it? Zahabi would be cool. You know, he's coming off two wins. Uh, I mean, I'm coming off a loss, so I mean, guys will say, "Oh, I want to fight a guy coming off a win." So if you want to say that, I mean, I'm willing to fight. You know, Ricky. You know, he just came off a loss, so that fight makes sense too. That'd be a cool fight. Like I said, 
he won the Ultimate Fighter show, so it would be cool to fight a guy uh, that, that won the Ultimate Fighter show. Um, who else did I have in mind? I had another name in mind. Uh, I don't know. It's not coming to me right now, but yeah, man. So we'll, I'll talk to my manager, and hopefully we'll get a fight soon so you guys could uh, see me back in the cage. And I got a lot to prove to myself, so. Where's the nickname come from? Kvenbo, is that your mom's your mom's maiden name? I saw it was part of your full name. Yeah, so it is. Kavimbo is a part of my full name. So, because I'm Johnny Munoz. My dad was born John Munoz. Uh, he's Mexican, but he was adopted uh, at a young age. His mom divorced his dad and then remarried, and then he became adopted by Greg Kavimbo. So that's why he became John Kavimbo. So, but when I was born, he wanted me to have the Mexican Hispanic last name. So I kept Munoz. But Kavimbo is in my name. So just the way I honor it, Kid Kavimbo. And I thought it, you know, people were like, I was always like the younger grandkid at the time. So we're like, oh, Kid Kavimbo, you know what I mean? So I was like, oh, that, that sounds kind of cool. It has a ring to it. So that's where it comes from. It does sound cool. I like that. I like that you're honoring uh, your family lineage. That's a, and it's, it, you're right. It, it sounds like a rap, like a rapper's name or something. Like it's, uh, it's got a lot of <laughs> zing to it. Like Kid, <laughs> like Kid Cudi, exactly. <laughs> you can do Man on the Moon 4, release it before he gets a chance. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Johnny, appreciate your time. Thank you for this, and I uh, hope to speak with you again soon. I appreciate you uh, chopping it up with me, breaking down all these fights. I appreciate you, Aaron. It was cool to be on here, breaking up the fights with you. And next time I'm on here, hopefully like it's a bigger card now, so I'll let, give me some big names, like more exciting fights. That was Johnny Munoz recapping UFC Fight Night. Now let's get to our interviews. We'll start off with the UFC champion of the world in the welterweight division, Kamaru Usman, followed by Brian Ortega, Shane Burgos, Charles Jordan, Eamon Zahabi, and finally, Archie Colgan. Thank you for tuning in to this week's TSN MMA show. Here we go with the champ. It's another champ camp for Kamaru Usman taking on Leon Edwards. And Leon has earned it. We've got a long win streak for him. I know you've beaten him in the past. I actually watched that fight earlier today. But he really can't be denied at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, if when you look at the landscape of the division and, and just the activity of, of the guys there, I think if you had to pick somebody, it's safe to say that Leon Edwards has, has earned that, that shot because, you know, everyone else has kind of been, you know, they've had their shot. And Leon's been waiting for a long time. And based on the body of work that he's put in, hasn't lost since he fought me, has improved greatly. I think, yeah, it's safe to say that Leon Edwards is the next guy up. Watching that fight earlier, the first uh, meeting between the two of you, it's very clear that both of you guys have evolved a ton since that fight. Can you take anything away from that fight, even a mental edge knowing that he's going to go into it, knowing you've beat him before? Like, if he sees you standing across from him, that's probably still going to be in his head, no? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I... I as far as that, it doesn't matter. It's, it's who's the best on that day. And, and that's kind of what I, I'm good at. I'm good at, at putting everything aside, stepping in there, and executing my game plan to go walk away victorious. So, uh, yeah, we've, we both have in, improved in a significant amount. And I, I just I see from him, he, he's even from then, that first fight, you know, the takeaways, he's always been a very sharp striker. You know, his one-two are, are a lot, you know, more fluid than my one-twos getting to the target. You know, just the difference is when my one-two get to the target, you might be asleep. Yeah, it probably hurts a little bit more. But you look at the strategic element of this. 
the takedown is probably going to be your best friend going into this fight. And I, I look at what happened with Israel in the last fight. People are giving him a hard time for that performance, but it was almost a clean sweep on the scorecards. It's like mastery. Everybody almost expects too much from the champions at this point in time, especially guys in the pound for poundless like yourself. Volkanovski, of course, really showed out in the last card. Israel. It seems like the expectations are so high, but at the same time, you have a set strategy that you could go into this fight with that would probably favor your wrestling. Yeah, um, I guess I guess so because that was what what was very uh, apparent in that first fight. But I, I'm much more than a wrestler, and I've showed that that I'm much more than a wrestler. But yeah, when you get to the top and you're as dominant as as we are, the guys at the pound for pound, the top, the pound for pound list. Yeah, it's just it's it's one of those things. You're in this territory that fans start to get a little bit bored. Fans always want to see that level of entertainment, that back and forth. They want to see the blood. They're thirsty for the blood, and and if they're not getting it, then you know they they tend to kind of think, oh well, uh, wasn't that entertaining? But yeah, you know, because they just want to see blood. But that's what we do. That's why we are at the top of the pound for pound list is that we have to be masters at our crafts. We have to be able to neutralize our opponents to get away from that fight victorious and unscathed. Well, how bored are you? That's my big question for you because you're defending the title over and over again. You've mentioned Canelo in the past. You mentioned 205. I feel like right now at age 35, you probably want to test yourself to see just how great you are or great how you you can be. Beating Leon Edwards is a massive thing to do. The guy's on a massive winning streak, but in terms of getting the credit for legacy, is that where you're kind of at right now mentally is like just challenging yourself to see what the the ceiling is? I mean, it, that's, a, that's a loaded question because it's all these guys are challenging. I like, and that's the thing is, is yes, Leon Edwards might not be a significant name like Canelo Alvarez, but Leon Edwards is still Leon Edwards. He's a tough son of a gun. This is a guy that's, that's definitely put the work in. You know, hasn't lost in the UFC since he fought me. He's put the work in and he's showed that he's deserving to be here. And he's the next scariest, biggest, baddest dude in the division right now. And I have to take him seriously. In terms of fights, of course, I, I would have loved the Canelo Alvarez because that's like I, I love that's a fight that scares me. It, it really, truly scares me. And, and it gives me a little oof, extra little, you know, motivation there to, to get up and, and, and get going. Because, it's, because, hey, this is a guy you're going into their realm and you don't really, you know, you're not a master at that craft. You got to start all over and learn that. So, yeah, that scared me. But Leon Edwards, being able to step back in there, each and every time I step in there, let's just be honest, I push myself. I want to outdo myself. So, yeah, I know a lot of people might be saying that that doesn't carry as much weight as far as when it comes to legacy. But beating Leon Edwards twice carries a lot of weight. Beating Kobe Covington twice carries a lot of weight. Beating Jorge Masvidal twice carries a lot of weight. Beating all these guys twice carries a tremendous amount of weight. So I don't look past Leon Edwards. I think he's a tough guy, and I'm going to be prepared August 20th to be able to go in there and do what I do best. Yeah, sure. It's not about looking past Leon Edwards. I'm just talking about, you look at Canelo, for example, not, and yeah. not you versus Canelo, but Canelo himself, moving up to fight Bivol. That's like two or three weight classes, and Bivol was an Olympian. Like, he didn't have the name value going into that fight, but I think that's what makes that such a, a difficult challenge for a guy like that. He just wants to test himself to see, again, the ceiling of his greatness. And when I read that interview with you where you mentioned 205, like jumping two weight classes to prove that kind of greatness to not, not I don't even think it's for the fans, it's for yourself. 
Like that to me is, is just very interesting in terms of your mentality and approach to this game. Yeah, that, I think that that's exactly what it is, 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 you know, you get to a point where it's like, okay, let me push the envelope here. Let's see what, let's see how good I really am. Because you surprise yourself each and every day. You go to a workout and, and the coach says, okay, this is, you read the workout and it's like, oh man, that's going to be tough. But then you surprise yourself at the end of the day when you make it through that workout. So it's like, oh, well, I guess I've got more to go. So, you know, that's kind of in the situation where we are now. And I've been able to get through all of these guys at welterweight. And I'm like, you know what? Mm, 205 looks kind of good. Let's 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 go out there and see. Because being a pound for pound means at any given moment, any given day, any given weight, you can hold your own and you can step in there and, and do what you do at the highest level. And that's what I wanted to show. And that's what I still want to show the world. I want to show the world that, hey, I can step in there and I can still snag that belt because I am the pound for pound best fighter on the planet right now. And I don't think that a loss like that would ever affect anybody's legacy. Like, I, I mean, it seems like Canelo's lost a little bit, but at the same time, I don't think people that, if you don't follow boxing that closely, I don't think you understand, like, just the monumental task that he took on there to take on a guy that, that was that much. I mean, we look at it in boxing, like Floyd Mayweather couldn't put out Logan Paul. Like, the, the size really does make a big difference in boxing. Absolutely. I mean, when you, you, you're talking about an extra, think about an extra five pounds behind the weight when you're throwing a punch extra 10 pounds behind, you know, that punch when it, when it connects to the chin. So all of these things, are they, they, they make a big, big difference. And, and hats off to all these guys who are taking those risks and then moving up. And, you know, as part of what I am and what I want to do is, you know, I want to be one of those guys who's taking those risks. When you say 5 or 10 pounds, imagine an extra 35 pounds behind the punch of Kamaru Usman. I mean, that could, that could hurt a couple people. <laughs> it could hurt, hurt a few people. <laughs> But then, of course, at 170, we've got Hamza Shemaev coming up. And I think that in terms of marketability, in terms of name value, he's a guy that a lot of people would like to see you face next. He's kind of the boogeyman of that division. Do you like having someone like that kind of, that you know, looking ahead in, in the horizon? It's great. I mean, of course, it, it, it's, you know, when you've beaten guys once, twice over, and now you're looking at staring down, potentially fighting them for a third time. Yes, it's always great to have someone sneak in there and kind of shake things up a little bit that gives you that extra name name value, namesake, the one that people really think that, yeah, that's the guy. That's the one that's going to go in there and do it. That 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 means a lot, and that's great. Uh, and, I mean, we're talking uh, uh, Floyd and Pacquiao here. Floyd's destroying everybody, and everyone's like, Pacquiao, that's the guy. That's the guy that's going to do it. And, and, you know, the same situation here. I, I love the fact that people are thinking, yeah, that's the guy that could potentially do it. But it's my job as a champion to each and every time I step in there go out there and prove them all wrong and hold that belt for as long as I can. And, you know, when I'm ready to walk away, I walk away. I don't think you became champion at a perfect time. I'll explain what I mean. Tyron Woodley, I feel bad for because he kept getting all of these kind of like Damian Maya, not a great, like it's hard to look good against Damian Maya. It's hard to look good against Wonderboy. Then you come along, you take the belt from him. He's never really the same. But at the same time, like the, the different challengers that he had, Darren Till was very green at the time, right? You're getting these matchups where it's like Colby Covington's like, this, this is the next best guy. You know, how, how's Kamara going to do? You beat him twice. Masvidal, super marketable. He, he's on a tear. He's, he's knocking guys out quickly. Ben Askren, five seconds. You, you get that name value that comes along with the challenger. You face him twice. You beat him. Leon Edwards on this, this massive streak right now. Gilbert Burns, former teammate of yours. People are saying, oh, we know who won in the, in the room. We don't really know exactly who that was. But at the same time, I think a lot of people were alluding to it being Gilbert. So you're getting all of these matchups that... 
are really coming to you at a perfect time during your championship run that I think really enhance your legacy. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, first and foremost, I'm blessed and I'm grateful that I am in the position that I'm in. Uh, a big difference between myself and Tyron Willie, we're just two completely different fighters as far as how we approach the game mentally and how we're willing to go into these fights. Uh, hats off to Tyron Woodley. He was a great champion, a, a good champion. But I, I just believe I'm different mentally with how I approach the game. Each and every time I step in there, I'm not just looking to hold on to this belt. I'm looking to impress myself. I'm looking to go in there and, and not only win, but win in spectacular fashion. And and I feel that's what sets me apart from a lot of these guys. I'm still growing as a champion. I'm not just, oh, I'm the champion now. I just need to do what I can to hold on to this belt. I'm still improving. Each and every time I step in there, I'm putting in the work. I'm still grinding like I'm the number one contender because I want to show the best version of myself. So when I walk away from this sport, everyone's going to go, wow, look how good he looked each and every time he stepped in there. And be frank with me. How do you enjoy being champion? Because you wanted to be champion for such a long time. You wanted to get this opportunity. Now you're finally there, and they always say it's lonely at the top. Everybody's gunning for you. You have to do so much more media. There's just a lot more obligations on your plate. So how's the champ life treating you? You, you're absolutely right. It is it is lonely at the top, and it's bittersweet. Of course, it's great as a champion, being worldwide recognized as the champion, and it makes getting reservations at certain restaurants a little bit easier. You know what I mean? But um, it, it's it, it's also tougher because, yes, like you mentioned, you have to do a lot more media. You have to your your presence is required in a lot of different places, which ultimately takes away from your personal time which ultimately takes away from your family time. So all these things make it a lot difficult to, to become champion. And, and it's just, of course, as a champion, you know, like they say, with great power comes great responsibility. So now that you are that face and that, that figure, you know, you're treated as such. So you go to dinner, you just want to enjoy dinner with your daughter or your family. You know, there's a table over there who recognizes that you're the champion and they want pictures. They want your attention. So, you know, that can become a little bit worrisome and bothersome at times. But all in all, it's, uh, you know, my mom says this all the time and it, it gets on my nerves. <laughs> but she always says, heavy is the head that wears the crown. And, um, and yeah, she's absolutely right. You know, these are the things that come with being a champion. And, you know, I think when, when I decide to walk away from the sport, I, I might miss this a little bit. But as of right now, I'm just living in the moment. There's also the pressure to just be great all the time. I'm sure you put that same pressure on yourself. But I remember when GSP was champion, and people used to boo him during his fights. Like, if he was wrestling too much, or he wasn't doing exactly what the fans wanted him to do, he wasn't getting finishes. Now everybody looks at GSP with such reverence, you know, after his career's done. But I feel like when we're watching the elite champions, like again, guys like you, Volkanovski, um, even Holloway when he was champion, Israel, Nganu, the expectations are just so high that they're almost unrealistic. And I just think that as fans, we should really start to sit back and just enjoy what you guys are doing to to show that you're that much of a step above the competition. Like, again, Israel is kind of a great example from that last fight with Cannoneer. It, it was just rampant criticism, but Cannoneer did absolutely nothing to him the whole fight. So it's it's like, what what more is he supposed to do? You can't always get all these finishes. Cannoneer's never been finished before, right? So the pressure just must be sky high all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... That's the thing, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Even with Anderson Silva, it became a time when Anderson Silva, people were, were were upset with Anderson Silva. And he was going out there and, and just doing what he wanted to do, but it wasn't enough. It's never enough. 
and that's that's what I think um, is the thing as, as a champion is you can't bank on going in there and oh I'm going in there to do this and do that you know for the fans and make these people happy or that people happy. Of course, you know you you're you're an entertainer. You have to go out there and you have to entertain. But I think for me, my approach to the game is as long as I'm continuing to improve and I'm improving in the areas that I want to improve to really show that I am the pound for pound best fighter in the, on the planet. I think, hey, that's right there showcases my skill set and showcases my dominance and why I am the best fighter on the planet. And hey, if they love it right now, you know, that's great. If they don't love it right now, that's fine. But when my career is done and they look back on the body of work and how I was able to do that, I think they're just like GSP. They're going to start to, wow, that guy was great. Well, we know you don't rest on your laurels. You're always looking to achieve the highest uh, peak of greatness. And I think that we should uh, applaud that. Uh, appreciate your time. Yourself, Leon Edwards, this August in Utah. It's the rematch. Watch the first fight. Not, not going to be the same two fighters that we saw that time around. And I always appreciate your time. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it. This weekend, T-City becomes T-Island. We're on Long Island for UFC Fight Night, headlined by Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. And thankfully for you, it's going to be the end of the, the day. This is a daytime card, so it'll be about afternoon West Coast time for you when you face Yair Rodriguez. Absolutely, man. It's, uh, a, new, it's a new time, time schedule that um, i got to get used to fighting now. How are you adapting so far? I mean, it's quite early in terms of West Coast time right now. It's super early, man. I'm not an early bird as, as, as it is. So um, I'm trying to learn how to adjust. I'm trying to wake up early so I, can eat, so I can get super tired. So by the time the day's end, I'm actually going to sleep on time and I wake up and I adjust. Uh, it's my second day here and I think by the time tonight comes, I will be tired. As, I don't know if I can cut, but I'll be tired as you know what. Well, I appreciate you not cussing, but uh, I, I remember speaking with you, and you like to train at night too, right? You're, you're somebody who likes to start the day kind of at around noon. Yeah, I'm a night owl. Uh, definitely a night owl, man. I, there's, yeah, I, I will fall asleep like at 3 in the morning. Well, this is an interesting fight for me in terms of your progression in the sport because I know you got the shot against Volk, but you were working with a new team for about two years up until that point. And I feel that we got to see a lot of new wrinkles against the Korean Zombie. But of course, the step up to the championship level is difficult for any human being. Do you think against Yair Rodriguez, we're really going to see just how sharp the tools are, having now worked with the new team for three, four years? Well, I mean, I'm still, I, I barely am with them for like two years now, or two and a half maybe. Um, and to me is every single fight I try to show improvements. Even even the last fight, although it didn't go my way, um, I mean, I'm sure you can see that out of everyone who's fought Volkanovski, like I'm the one who put him in most danger. And that's just due to, to the things that I've been training and working on, you know? And now I came back and did another camp and we're here again and this is it. To me, it's like, all right, let me evolve. Let me get better. Let me show you guys. You know, opponent by opponent. Every, obviously, styles make matches, and anything can happen in fights. But uh, I plan on going in there and showing, um, obviously, that that I I'm a force to be reckoned with. Well, be honest with me here. When he got out of that submission in the third round, I mean, 99.9% .9 of people are going out or tapping to that submission. 
Did that take a lot of wind out of your sails? Like, were you a little bit exasperated that he was able to survive that? Yeah, I was shocked. I, I was shocked. I was in there and I was, I mean, I had him in the guillotine and I, I'll be honest with you, I was already kind of celebrating, you know? I was uh, like, holy shit, I'm, I'm about to become a world champ. I was just waiting for the tap. And then uh, it never came and he slipped out and it was like, holy shit. Like, that's never happened even in training. So that was that was a new one for me. And obviously when you have a such a great lock on a submission and you don't get it, you have a sense of, of, of getting demoralized, right? You don't you're like, damn, for real? And then sure enough it just kind of trickled down to the next submission, to every submission and I was just like, damn, he got out the guillotine, he got out the triangle, he, Got out my anaconda in the fourth, and after that, I was like, you know what? Let's just hell marry it. Yeah, difficult circumstance. And when you look at this top 10 of the featherweight division, this might be the best top 10 in the history of the UFC. I don't know if you know this stat, but if you look at this top 10 in the last three years, only one fighter in this top 10 has been finished. Like, I mean, it's just an unbelievable amount of versatility and resilience that we have right now in the featherweight division. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, just Volkanovski against the Korean Zombies. The only guy that's been stopped in the top 10 of the featherweight division. It's just, this is just a, a division where, where everybody is so tough. And, you know, every fight matters so much. Is that the way that you approach a fight like this against Yair Rodriguez? Absolutely. 100%. He, uh, he's number three for a reason. Um, He's at the top for a reason, you know what I'm saying? Like, the guy has beat a, a lot of credible people in his last fight against Max. looked phenomenal. Um, and now, like I said, this is something that I have to try to do my best to, to start becoming a better version of, of who I was and seeing if I can put these guys out, you know? These, these guys are tough as shit, and it, it takes a lot of skills and patience and understanding and, and, and clarity when you're in there to, to see this and to go in there and, and get these finishes. You know, it's really hard, especially with these guys. Maybe when I was out of the top 15 or barely even coming up at the time, you know, it was, it, I made some noise and finished some big names, but man, these guys are, they're, they're getting tougher, man. They're getting tougher. They're, they're, they're built differently and the world sees it. That's why none of us, like you just said, that's why only one person has been finished. And yet you're such an unorthodox fighter. How do you train differently for someone like him who has such a unique striking style compared to the rest of the division? I mean, obviously there's not one fighter in this entire world that can mimic any fighter uh, for any training camp, but you do your best. You try to find the best people that look uh, the part that, that, that can throw weirdness like that, study his fight and mimic him the best of your abilities. And that's it. You know, that's all you can do is set up a game plan and, and train for that and have people give you the looks and, and, and start getting prepared. Was there anybody that you brought in in specific? Like, I know a guy like a Ross Levine would be a good guy to emulate Yair, or was it just the people that you had around you? We, we brought some people around. Uh, yeah, we brought some people around. And I know you're with Tracy Cortez, a fellow UFC fighter. She just got a win in Phoenix. Tell me about the importance of stability in your life and, and when the last time you had that stability was during your fight career. How's that helping you right now? 
Um, I mean, I think it's good to have stability in general, not just in my career, you know. Um, to have her in my life is, is great. It's something that, like, I've, I've buckled down. I've, I've slowed my roll, and I've gotten a lot of moves done in my life since she's been in my life. We, we bought a house, we, like, we actually we have two houses and there's just a lot of things that, that, that have been going on and, and great things, you know? And I don't know how to sum it up, but to have her in my life is, I know it's kind of cheesy, but like she, she, you know, they say you need someone in your life that will hold it down for you and she holds it down for me. You told the story on uh, Bruce Buffer's podcast of how the two of you kind of, I guess, courted one another. And it's just a great story. I mean, I don't know if you have a podcast, but you're one of the great storytellers in MMA. Like, I bet you could tell a thousand stories from your life, and I could just sit there and listen to them. I, I just think you're, you're very compelling. I'm always kind of hanging on your next word. So if you're ever thinking of going into podcasting, forget about the fight game. Just tell stories from your life, because I think that uh, there's, a, there's a lot to tell. I mean, the stories of uh, your dad and your upbringing and how your dad built, like, kind of a, 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 play, a playground for you guys in your front yard. There's just yeah. so much to tell, I think, in your life. I just need to find the right people to ask the right words that, that will make me go down memory lane, you know? So that's why I feel like having a, a podcast would be hard, because I don't know what to talk about. Everything for me is very very organic, very natural, very, it has to just come out. Um, and, and I think it takes the right people to, to ask the questions. And when you do, that's kind of when you, you know, you, you dive to me, I guess I dive very deep in that moment and I remember everything. And as I'm remembering it, I started speaking it. And, uh, I don't know. I, I love beautiful memories or crazy memories or what anything, you know, you, tell a story for me is like I want you guys to feel what I felt so I have to like almost take you in my shoes and play the whole movie for you well I'll do it with you if you'd ever like to at the start of podcast I, I think I can ask you the right questions to, to de dive deep into that memory bank but you could also write a book but I just feel the way that you tell it in person like when you were with me in Toronto in the lead up to the max fight I could I could just sit there and listen to you tell stories for forever. So I mean, kudos to you. I mean, you're a great fighter, but I don't, I'm sure people don't give you a lot of credit for being a great storyteller. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. This is the first time anyone's ever actually said that. All right. Well, the story continues this weekend. Yourself against Yair Rodriguez in the main event on Long Island. Uh, appreciate your time and look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you, my boy. Thank you. Hurricane Shane Burgos fighting on his home turf once again, this time against someone from the Great White North, Charles Jordan. I'm excited for this fight, but like I mentioned to you before it started, I'm kind of dreading it because I, I think you are two of the best guys in the sport and just in terms of, you know, being being nice overall human beings. Thank you, man. I mean, I guess I appreciate that, but uh, Saturday night I don't plan on being very nice. Yeah, I, I expect Charles won't either, but I think the two of you would actually hit it off quite well after the fight. That's, that's fine. I, I have no... Uh ill will or animosity towards anybody i mean whether he's the coolest guy before the fight or he's an asshole before the fight i'm still going to try to learn there and i expect the same thing from him so 
Well, he actually likes having opponents, he's told me this in the past many times, that scare him, that keep him up at night. And he says that you certainly fall under that category. He says that he, he performs at his best when he's basically absolutely terrified of an opponent. So, I, I mean, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but really, I think that's a credit to you <laughs> that that's something that he worries about. I appreciate that. And that's funny because I, I feel um, I, I can definitely relate with that feeling. But I also feel when I'm the favorite or I'm, I'm supposed to win, that's when there's more pressure on you. Like I'm the guy that's defending my spot. I'm the guy that's ranked 14 and I just defended my spot in my last fight. Now I'm going into this one and I have to defend it again. So I'm the one that that, that there's really a, a lot for me to lose and, and not much for me to gain in a sense. But um, I'm treating this one like it's the biggest fight of my career. And not to mention, you, you mentioned in an interview to uh, James Lynch, this is the last fight on your contract. I don't know if that's changed since you spoke to him, but stakes are very high in that regard too. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm treating this one like this is uh, it's, it's do or die. I have to win. It's win or fucking go home. I ain't ready to go home. Josh Emmett uh, recently won a five-round fight against uh, Calvicator, two guys you faced in the past. Do you think that Josh is deserving of a title shot? Because it seems like it's a little bit up in the air right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if not him, then who? Right now at 145, it's not very, like, there's no clear-cut number one contender besides besides Josh. He's got the biggest winning streak. He just had had a big win over uh, Cater. It was a phenomenal fight. Um, stylistically, I think that uh, Emmett and Volkanovski match up really, really well. And I think it's a, it's a fun fight for the fans. I don't see how that could be a, a boring fight. You can sell that fight. I think it makes sense. I think the one situation that could throw... Josh Emmett for a loop is if Yair Rodriguez somehow runs through Brian Ortega. And, you know, we've never seen anybody uh, that isn't a champion do that to him. I think that's kind of the only fight that would make sense on top of Josh Emmett uh, if that ends up happening. I don't, I, don't I, mean, I can definitely see that happening, but I don't think that it necessarily makes more sense because then Yair's on a, what, one fight winning streak at that point. So I don't, I mean, compared to Josh, Josh is on a, on a he's got some momentum going on. So I don't, I don't see how that warrants it more so. But if he puts on a crazy performance against Ortega, yeah, that 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 will be impressive because, like you said, Ortega's only lost to to the champions. What do you think happens in that fight? If I had to pick someone, I got I got to pick Ortega. He has more ways to win. Um, he's got submissions. He's got stand up. Um, Yair, the dude kicks you in the fucking head. The fight's over. You know what I mean? It only takes one of those kicks. So he's definitely dangerous. But if I had to pick, I gotta go with I gotta go with Ortega. I keep telling all the featherweights this crazy stat, and I want you to guess unless you've heard it already. Of the top, the guys currently in the top 10 of the featherweight division, how many of them have been finished in the last three years? That's a great question. I, I could not answer that. If you were to just guess. In the last years? Yeah, last three years, the top 10 guys. I mean, this is the Shark Tank of Shark Tank divisions right now in the featherweight division. Uh, um, I mean, just because it sounds like it, it, it's, I got to pick a crazy number. I'm going to go two. One. One, one wow. fighter's been finished that's currently in the top 10 in the last three years, the Korean Zombie against Volkanovski. You know, people get on Volkanovski for not getting finishes, but it's easier said than done in your division. Shit, wow, that's crazy. How long was Ortega versus uh, um, Holloway? That was over, that's over Yeah, it's almost four years at this point. Oh, shit. Jesus, like, flew by. Yeah, well, your fight against uh, Cub Swanson was actually on the last card to take place in Ontario. Um, and I think that was more than three years ago at this point, or close to three yeah. years ago. And their fight was Here's before the... yours. Oh. Ortega versus versus Holloway was before me. I think go? so because the last the last Ontario card that took place was because that was in Toronto. Uh, Holloway versus Ortega, and your fight was in Ottawa, and that was the most recent Canadian card. Or oh, sorry, Shit. not Canadian card, most recent card in Ontario. Uh, that's that's mind boggling. I didn't think that fight was that long ago. That's wild. <laughs> 
I actually told Charles the story about uh, I saw you backstage before the Cup Swanson fight, and you gave me the devil horns. That still resonates with me because most guys are kind of pacing nervously. You, you're just dialed in. You're ready to go. Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, at that point, it's just like uh, all the work is done. You know what I mean? I, there's nothing else to do but to go fucking do what I've been preparing for for the last six, eight, twelve weeks, whatever it is. At that point, I'm just like I'm all cylinders fired up. I'm ready to fucking go. At that point, yeah, you're you're still pacing around, but you're doing so in an excited fashion. It seems like yeah, I can kind of yeah. tell the the vibe from a, a camp from seeing what's going on backstage. It seems like you just want to get out there and get going. Yeah, thanks. Like not, I'm just fucking anxious back then. Like let's just go already. I just want to go. I just want to go. And you're waiting. You don't know if the last if the fight before you is going to be a decision or a finish. If it's a finish, you're gonna you're gonna go earlier. If it's a decision, you're gonna go later. You're sitting there back there like. Fuck, man, I just want to go. I just want to go. That's why I liked originally. I was the the main card opener, and I was like, you know what? People were complaining about that. They're like, you should be higher in the card. I was like, you know what? I'm cool with that because I know exactly what time I'm fighting. I know exactly what time to warm up. With this one, now I'm the second fight on the, on the main card, so it's not too bad. So I'm uh, guessing I'll be around two thirty, so I can still uh, time that little that warm up and not and, and and control my uh, my emotions a little bit, not get too excited too early. I was talking to Robin Black about this earlier in the week. We were having a discussion about this fight. And about how a lot of fighters in this division or just in the UFC in general can be kind of put into the action fighter category. It doesn't mean you're not going to win a championship because you win enough fights, you're going to get there anyhow. But are you happy being in that category where they're going to put you in stylistic matchups that are going to make for really, you know, kind of violent affairs? Yeah, I feel like that, that's exactly where I'm at. I mean, if you look at my last call matchups, they, like the ones that Shelby's been giving me, they're just one of those, uh, they're, they're all, all matchups that are just fucking fire. Like they, they, they're fights that, they, you run them back a hundred times and they'll never be boring every single time that I mean I feel like every time I'm specifically in a fight it's not going to be boring but you add the guys that I'm fighting for these last couple fights how the fuck it, it would be another dimension for those fights to be boring do you feel like you're betting on yourself in this one could you have gotten a contract extension beforehand you did this last time around too if I recall yeah I mean I, I didn't really I didn't look for it but I, I'm sure I, I'm sure it could have I don't see why they wouldn't want to resign me um, but yeah all, all, all chips on me that's that's what I did last time and let, let, let the dice roll I'm very confident in myself um me doing that twice now go I just I feel like that just goes to show my my level of confidence too before that fight the, the previous last fight on your contract you said you wanted to be back with the UFC that was your goal you just wanted to be you know compensated fairly is that the way you feel going into this one yeah, of course. Who doesn't want to be in the UFC? I mean, I, I take a lot of pride in being a UFC fighter. Um, yeah, I just, obviously, I got I got two kids now. Um, I just want to get paid a little bit more. I'm not asking for uh, I'm asking for hundreds of millions or nothing like that. I just want to get paid a little bit more. That's all I'm asking for. Does it benefit you to be from New York as a fighter? Given that they do the MSG card, they do. It seems like they do at least one other card in New York State every single year. You almost always get to fight in your backyard. Yeah, I, it, it, it's wild. I, I've driven to more of my fights than I've flown. I've only flown to, I think, three fights out of 11 UFC fights now. I've only gotten on a plane three times ever to go for a fight. It's fucking wild. Um, honestly, a lot, of, a lot of times that I'm fighting in um, in the UFC, it, it's been closer than when I was out of the UFC, before I was in the UFC. I used to fight in AC all the time in Philly, which is like three hours away. Now I'm fighting an hour and 20 minutes away, an hour and a half away, an hour away. This is fucking awesome. Well, sometimes it can be a longer drive to Long Island than it, it is yeah. to fly to Vegas. It took me like three hours to get here. Uh, that was annoying. And it was only like 30 miles. So that was fucking frustrating. <laughs> Other than the fucking Long Island traffic, I, I, I do like Long Island. The traffic is horrendous, but it's nice. That's the one weird thing when I'm in New York. I, I'll look at my phone. And it'll be like, oh, you can, I can take an Uber. And it'll get me there in 13 minutes. Or I can walk and it'll get me there in 12 minutes. It's just weird yeah, to see that yeah. all the time. 
it's the fucking worst. It's, it, it, if you think New York City's bad, you got to see Long Island. And Long Island takes the cake when it comes to traffic. Why is it even worse? I guess is there is there less transit? I don't know. There's always fucking accidents. There was like four accidents on the way here. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not from Long Island, but uh, maybe you ask one of these guys that are from here. All right, I'll do that. Next time I see somebody who's from Long Island, I will, I will yeah. certainly do I got People were getting on me because I said the fight was in Long Island instead of on Long Island. And I said, yeah. if, you, if you start saying in line instead of online, then I'll correct myself. <laughs> do you yeah, say guess- online or in line? It seems like a New Yorker thing. I say online. What do you mean? It's, it's just people from New York that say that. I guess. All right. <laughs> the guy over your right shoulder, that's Ryan Burgos. He's uh, your, your younger brother. He's an up-and-coming prospect. When are we going to see you in the, in the UFC, Ryan, if you can hear me? Soon, man. I'm going to take my time. I'm, I'm in no rush. i got time on my side, so yeah. He just turned 21 on Saturday, so uh, after, after I get this win, we'll, we'll all celebrate. Two more fights, contender series next year. Is that a fair timetable? I, 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 it's fair, but I want him to get a couple more than two more. Okay, fair enough. Well, then let, let's get the uh, let's get the show on the road. Get three, four under your belt in the next year, and we can have you on contender series. You're a flyweight, correct? Yes, sir. All right, cool. Well, I'm sure I'll be talking to you uh, very soon as well, uh, Shane. Always appreciate your time, Ryan. Thank you as well, and uh, best of luck this Saturday against Charles Jordan. Appreciate you, brother. Have a good one. He is Charles Air Jordan Le Pirette. He's taking on Shane Burgos. <laughs> and you always tell me you like having opponents that uh, keep you up at night that you're scared of. Shane Burgos probably falls under that category. Holy fuck. Like, in terms of dangerous fighter, because of course he's not ranked five or whatever, but my style against his style, it's very dangerous for me. So for me, I think two dangerous fighter at featherweight, let's say three, would be uh, him, Burgos, uh, uh, Max Holloway, and uh, um, Edson Barbosa. Those are the three guys that I'm like, oh my god! I know, I know, I can push the pace striking wise, but uh, they can they can bring me to hell, and uh, that's what I'm expecting with uh, Mr. Burgos. I'm sure he trains very hard. I think he's one of the biggest featherweight of the the organization for real. Like I know some guys are big, but I saw him live, and he, he's He's enormous. Like, I know Philly was big. Arnold Darlin, I met a couple of these guys, but, man, Shane Shane looks like a monster compared to us. But, hey, can affect the chin, can affect the, the brain a bit. That's why in his last fight, he received a lot of punishment. And, uh, yeah, I mean, cutting weight uh, too much can, can, can be a, a bad thing and it can be a good thing. So that, that's one thing we're going to find out uh, the 16th. Well, when I covered his fight in New York back in November... I interviewed Ally Akinta, um, who was on the same card, um, and uh, he walked away, and then Burgos came in, and I looked at Burgos, I go, there's no way that you weigh less than that guy right now, that you weigh less than Ally Akinta, and he was like, yeah, probably not. He walks into the cage probably in, like, close to 170 pounds. Yeah, that's impressive. The, the biggest I've ever been in the cage was, like, 160. So, but hey. In terms of everything, uh, I, I think there's a downside and there's a good side to everything in MMA. Being that big and cutting too much weight, this and that, there, there can be some highs, some lows, and it's my, my, my job to adapt to it. The, 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 the more I will fight those big guys, the more, uh, the more uh, I get experience. Uh, actually, this is one thing I wanted to, to, to tell. Uh, uh, it's going to be, I think, my 19th fight, uh, something like that, or 18. It goes fast. It goes really fast. I see these guys who are 
all around 16, even to pour you as 12, this and that. I'm, I'm, uh, even though I'm one of the youngest who's fighting in the, for the top 15 spot, I'm, I'm one with who has a lot of experience. So yeah, this is a factor that I didn't take into consideration, but I'm getting there. I'm getting very a lot of experience. I fought a lot since I'm signed with the UFC. I haven't been signed for long, like three years, and I already fought like this is gonna be my ninth. So yeah, the, things are going pretty well in in terms of learning and in terms of getting better. Yeah, they're definitely keeping you busy uh, in the UFC. Did you not see UFC 276? Because I noticed you said Holloway, you said Barboza, Burgos. You didn't say Alexander Volkanovsky, who, I mean, I don't know who's going to touch this guy. He looked fantastic on, on that card. Yeah, I, I think Volkanovsky has this image of, uh, uh, it, it, it's not a jab or anything. He's just because he's so great that I think people losing interest in the featherweight division, uh, knowing that, like, not many of these guys can beat him. Even afterwards, the only guy who called Volk out was Bryce Mitchell, which I absolutely loved. Me, I cannot call out anybody because I, I need to take my, my spot in the top 15 beforehand to talk about champs and this and that. But like Bryce Mitchell was the only one like, what are you guys doing? We got this pound for pound king uh, at featherweight and nobody calling him out. Well, what are you guys doing? And uh, they all want to, I think people want to fight more like Max Holloway zombie and all these guys for spectacle this and that and then to fight for the actual belt so yeah like uh, alexander is so great that he's making the division not not boring then it's not it would not be the right term but it makes it like i doubt there's going to be someone who's going to be able to defeat him some sort of john jones type uh at some point john jones was like man he's just invincible and people didn't lose interest but he was like i don't like I don't see him lose. So so it's hard to, 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 to shake up a division. Like that 155 division is so great because uh, Oliveira, people were like, oh, he can lose to this guy. He can lose to this guy. He can lose. But when you look at my, at, at uh, Alexander, it's hard to say he's, he can lose. It's weird for me to explain. But uh, yeah, it's something that's been traveling my mind. Like why those top four, five, six are not calling out Volk? Why? They, 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 I think they prefer to fight Max and go to war for five rounds than, than to actually get beat by, by, by Volkanovski. But it's weird. Well, it's like Demetrius Johnson. So it's like, instead of who's going to beat, like, beat this guy, it's like who's going to challenge this guy. That's what it comes down to. Valentina Shevchenko also. Just these dominant champions at the top. I think Josh Emmett would like to fight Volkanovski, but I know he had a bad experience at UFC 276, so he's kind of sour on the whole situation right now, but I think he's probably next in line if I had to pick somebody. What happened at uh, 276? Well, if you remember, he after he won his last fight against Cater, he went on the mic and said, I want to sit cage side and see who I'm going to be fighting next when Volkanovski and Holloway fight each other. So he, he went to the event, and they put him in the nosebleed section in the back of the arena. So he was, he was annoyed because he wants, you know, he, he is being proactive. He wants that fight. And he said that they basically, and then when he wanted to go down to the bottom to like talk to his teammates like Uriah Faber and Cody Garbrandt, they wouldn't let him down. The security wouldn't, didn't know who he was. So, I mean, that's kind of a problem in and of itself is that the, the people don't know who you are. It's going to make you hard to be a candidate to fight for the mm -hmm. title. Yeah, yeah, no, but like Emmett is another guy that, that, uh, it, uh, I'm going to sound like a cocky little shit, but like take into consideration that my perspective is also from a fan of UFC 
I am I bugging a bit? No, you're good. Looks like I'm bugging. Okay, so it's it's more a perspective uh, in terms of a UFC fan. And when he said, "Oh, the division needs new blood," I'm like, "Bro, you're like 37 years old. What do you mean new blood? They, they, there's not that much excitement when he's fighting. Of course, he hits hard. He's very good. Beat guys like Burgos, this and that. He, in terms of skill, he's very good. But like, it's it's a flatbread personality, and I'd rather see Bryce Mitchell go up in there because Bryce Mitchell represents new blood more for me. As a, I'm I'm talking as a fan right now, not as a performer, because I. I wouldn't say that I'm better than these guys until I've proven it. And uh, but yeah, my perspective as a fan is that the Josh Emmett thing is not it's not selling to to anyone. It's not appealing to anybody. Plus, I think the later rounds against Cater were his worse. And me, my perspective: when you lose a five-round fight, it doesn't matter if you won one, two, and three. I think four and five should give you more points because at the end of round five we can see who was ready to go six seven eight that that's for me that's who would win the fight the guy who can put on the like the dominic rice against john jones fight can i say oh i won one two three and then the later rounds you were getting lit up like a christmas tree like for me for me the the, the championship rounds or the later rounds are the most important in terms of decision but i know they need to to have this scoring system and blah 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 but like i, I think cater was finding more groove and uh and uh emmett was losing a little bit of power and and momentum growing going to the later rounds uh, so i mean so it was not that appealing and uh, yeah but it's quite unfortunate that the usc put him in nosebleed they, they should try to hype it up but i mean it is what it is max all the way response <laughs> Well, maybe we make rounds four and five have an eleven-point must system. You get an extra point. I I would agree with that. I mean, the later rounds are so representative of how it would go if it kept going. Like if it's a like it's a no no rounds fight, and you see that the guy, even though he he's losing for the first fifteen, and then the last minute he's starting to lit up that guy. I mean. Let, let's be real. Ooh, like the probability of of the guy who was winning the last exchange, winning a real fight, is higher than the guy who gave it all in the first three. Or what I hate is three rounds fight when guys are giving everything that they have one and two, and then third round they're surviving, falling, getting knocked down, this and that, and then judge are like, oh yeah, this guy win. I'm like, this guy was dead, and this guy was so happy that there was not a fourth round. How does that make you win a fight? Like the judges are going to say, oh, well, he won first and second. I, I, I've, it's not appealing to me. I, I, I think the later rounds, and I really like the K1 style, three rounds. And if the judges are, are fixed, you get an extra round. But I know, I know it's more complicated with uh, la, la, the, la Régie, people who are there. And I doubt they would allow that. But me, an extra round would be... Would be uh, a fun thing to the UFC. I, I don't know if you ever heard the crowd in K1 when they say extra round and like everybody's like, oh my God. And you see the guys, you can see the guy who's like, ah, oh, fuck. And the guy's like, okay, I need to prove something. So yeah, extra round uh, would be something interesting, but I know I know they, they would never allow it, but that's life. Pride judging. Just bring back pride judging. If we're going to look at it that way, just say that guy won. Is, I mean, I like that they have to show numbers and they have to say, this guy won this round, here's how, here's the methodology. 
But if, if you're going to use pride rules, I think the right person is going to win more often than not. I'm not a big guy, like proponent of the pride rules. I, I'm more of a decimal system guy. I, would, I always think mm-hmm. that's probably a better way of doing it. Have 10 to 8.5 rounds, 10 to 9.5 for close rounds. And that way the person yeah. that has the most dominant rounds ends up winning. But if you just did pride rules and you said, okay, well, if, if the fight was to continue or based on what I saw, that guy won, I think more often than not, you're going to get the right winner. Absolutely, I agree with that. It was Nate Diaz who made that statement at one point. Like, uh, there was a guy who had a lot of calf kicks and was just getting lit up in the third and finished on his back. I don't know if it was O'Malley or something, but the the, the fight. Oh, uh, yeah, who was O'Malley it? versus Sukumtat. Could be like he was laying on his back at the end and he was like very happy that it was over or something like that. And Nate said. How can this guy win the fight? Like, after, as soon as it was over, he was happy it was over. And the other guy was like, fuck, I wish I had more time. But, yeah, Nate has a different views uh, also on uh, on judging and sport. But uh, it's a very interesting way. It's more of a fighting warrior spirituality more than the decimal system, which is important to some degree. But, yeah, later rounds for me should, should add up an extra point. Well, Charles, I have a, a story for you, but first, let's point out, you're not in your car anymore. Your phone overheated on you, so now we're, we're taking, uh, taking it to the farm where you are right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> so when I was in Ottawa, the last event in Ontario that the UFC has had, I was backstage, and you always see kind of the different mannerisms of people before they walk out to the cage. We had on that card Shane Burgos, your upcoming opponent, taking on Cub Swanson. And before he walked out, he looked at me and gave me kind of the devil horns, and he was ready to rock. Kind of a, you know, kind of a different kind of cat. So are you thinking about Shane Burgos in the same kind of fashion when you're going to be ready to face him? That was actually the night I met you for the first time. Yes, uh, it was the, the first time I saw a UFC event of my life. And then uh, Cobb Swanson was fighting Shane, like you mentioned. And I remember seeing Shane. I was like, okay, this guy is, uh, like you, t- you talk about the devil sign. He's the devil. He's just a guy who wants to take part of your soul. So that's something that resembles to me. So... As soon as I saw him fight and win against Ko, I was like, I'm going to meet him someday. I knew her fate would cross, just like I know I'm going to face Ilya Tuporia sooner or later. Like, it's just something that I knew when I see these guys. I know some guys who uh, have no fate or no no connection with it, but yeah, I'm fated to, to bleed with this devil uh, in Shane Burgos. <laughs> uh, he's had some tough matchups as well. Like uh, Billy Quarantillo, his last matchup, he got a win there. But then back-to-back losses to Edson Barboza, uh, Josh Edmund, who we spoke about earlier. But uh, it seems like you just have to stay in his face for the entire fight. I, I guess that's what your plan is usually with any opponent. My plan, my my plan, my plan. Sorry, is to create as much damage as I can. And uh, he's a he's a he's a man that can withstand a lot of damage. Uh, especially on the sides of the head. I think he has a very strong upper body and very strong neck. So he's able to absorb some kind, some sort of punishment when it comes to hooks and anything that's on the sides of the head. I think his chin, every time he got hit clean, clean on the chin, he went down. I think there's that, that's the button right there. So, so he likes to do head movement side to side. So I need to find a way. If I cannot hit the chin because of his head movement, I need to make sure that I can cover these angles with other weapons. So it's a very interesting matchup because I have many tools that I that I can wait to show, and also because he, he said multiple times that he wants to prove how versatile he is. Uh, we saw him defend takedowns, and he said he wants to do takedowns. I'm like, come on, Shane, we're in front of your hometown crowd, and you want to take me down? But I, there's difference. Uh, like uh, 
him or other wrestlers. I think he's going to try to take me down and try to maul me and try to like beat me up and make sure he, he comes out with a part of my soul. So I don't mind the, I don't mind any exchange with if it if it's in terms of grappling or striking. I'll find a way. I'm a finisher. Lendo Vanata went for that double. I sneak in the guillotine. I have good confidence in my jiu-jitsu. Of course, my wrestling needs a lot of improvement. I'm working hard on it. But it's hard for someone who, like you see these Americans who've been wrestling since they were 10, 8 years old. Me, I'm, I've been wrestling with proper guys for like six months. I knew wrestling stuff, but to the degree that I'm, I'm receiving knowledge now is, is very different. So... I think Shane wants to put on a show, but I think that could be his downfall. Like, uh, wanted to, to give that, that bloodbath to the, the crowd. So we'll see. I mean, I'm very intrigued of uh, how he's going to play his card. And uh, I'm willing to push the pace on him so him he has to adapt to me instead of me adapting to his forward pressure. See, if I was a matchmaker, I would book uh, Ryan Burgos against Louis Jordan on the same card. I mean, two flyweights that are hungry to get into the UFC. Louis is a bantamweight, and Louis might, might be uh, bigger than me right now. Uh, Louis, Louis, Louis is getting big. He's gaining big muscle. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's getting bigger. So I, I doubt... Uh, <laughs> flyweight's not in the cards. Huh? <laughs> flyweight is not in the cards then. No, exactly. No, even bantamweight, he's doing, he's doing good. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes from there. Louis, Louis has bigger bones than me. He has bigger hands, bigger back, bigger head, bigger skull overall. So uh, the, the the doctor in our family always said Louis is going to be the giant of the family, and now he's starting to grow like even bigger than me. But he can he can manage to do 135, which is very impressive. But I wouldn't mind him fighting at 145 at some point to stay healthy and stay stronger. And is he planning on staying in MMA? I saw he's been taking some boxing matches as well. Yeah, but the fortunate part about that was uh, the MMA cancellation, this and that. He just had a fight canceled at another uh, Niagara promotion, this and that. Louis, Louis has a bad luck with finding matchups and finding fights. And uh, plus plus the, the dollar they want to, to offer. Like, I, I get it. It was a tough time for everybody. But nobody in the world... I, I know you need to make your, your, your place. But uh, I'm at a place right now that <laughs> there's a certain amount that you need to respect. And a guy cannot train three months to get two Gs. It, it's it's stupid. Uh, it's it's not enough. Inflation, this and that. I know it's a dream, blah blah blah. But I I these guys make good money with shows. They always say, oh, we don't make good money, blah blah blah. Man, if you if you sell properly a show, you can make a good profit out of it. And this profit was made because of the fighters. So don't hack like assholes and start paying your guys more. But hey. I'm not a promoter, so I'm just giving my my part on it. So I, I I know Louis made good money in boxing. He likes to fight. He stays active. Active. So yeah, Louis has a different role than mine, and uh, he's becoming more and more of a great man. And uh, yeah, time time is good. Uh, time suits him well. That's what I will say. Well, you're 26, and he's your younger brother, so he has a lot of time <laughs> to get into yeah, the big absolutely. show. Yeah, like it, it, just a little uh, parallel is. Uh, yeah, I, I retweeted the thing you talked about, about all the champion being 32-year-olds and over. Like, the only guy who's 29 right now is Yeri. So, even 29, it's me in, like, three years or two years and a half. So, yeah, I got time. I'm not pressed. Uh, and all the young fighters shouldn't be as stressed because 24, 22-year-olds like John Jones and Jose Aldo champion, it's going to be a rare breed uh, nowadays because, uh, yeah, you need... 
proper physicality, you need proper experience, you need so many tools now to be a UFC champion. Being a UFC champion today and five years ago is so different. So, uh, so imagine ten years ago. I think, I think experience plays a factor, and uh, it, it actually it's the most important one. Like we saw, what's his name, uh, Cody Nolov win championship, the championship against Dominic Cruz, and then, foo. Now the, the all the guys who have proper experience are starting to to get the better of him. So yeah, it's time. Time is good. So if any young fighter is listening to this right now, don't be as pressed as 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 you think you should. You have time, and your peak is around 28, 30. So take your time. You have time. <laughs> well, if you get a win against Shane Burgos, you're going to be in the rankings. So. Your wish to have scary opponents going forward will probably come true uh, for the foreseeable future because you look at that division, the top 15 of featherweight. I don't know if you know this stat. Maybe I'll give you a little bit of trivia. You might have seen me tweet about this. How many of the top 10 featherweights have lost inside the distance, either gotten finished in the last three years, if you had to guess? Not many. I think it would be like, Oh my God! We have Taporia never got finished. We have Anna Allen never got finished. I don't think Emmett ever got finished as well. So man, all the way, my God, probably like five. I don't know. I don't know. Not much. One. My, huh? One. One. In the one finish, in the, one guy's been finished in the last three years. Korean Zombie against Volkanovski. That's the only guy in the top ten of featherweight who has lost inside the distance. It's just. The, the most durable, toughest guys on the planet. Hey, after this win, there's going to be one more because I got finished by Erosa. <laughs> well, he, you're, but I, th- I don't think you're going to be top 10 after this. I'm talking just top 10, not ranked. Because top 15, oh, okay, I th- sorry. Yeah. top 15, I think there's more. Um, okay, okay, I know okay. that, uh, I guess, I mean, Burgos got finished in 2021 against Barboza. So, yeah. But looking at that top 10, it's just like, it's just the lion's den. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's very... Uh, like I got, I got an idea where my career would would like to go after a good victory over Shane. Like the Korean Zombie, I I I don't know if you recall, but we had an exchange about him a long time ago when I fought in Korea, and I said I've never met someone with such a deadly aura when he was hitting pad, and like the the combination of smile, relax, and I'm gonna fucking kill you aura. It was it was just a mix that was. Tremendous, but hey, I'm not gonna call out any name, but there's a lot of very good featherweights that I would like to clash with. But for now, I got one of the 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 meanest, weirdest, violent men in the featherweight division. So yeah, first thing first, I need to finish uh, Hurricane Shane. Well, it's just the way you like it. The scariest guys possible. And that's gonna happen this Saturday, UFC Fight Night in Long Island, New York. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you for this, Charles. Thank you very much for having me again. After a big win this past weekend, Eamon Zahabi joins me. You did exactly what you said you were going to do. It, it all came into fruition exactly as planned. Yeah, man. I thought that's what I, that's what I expected, you know, because I studied him well. And uh, actually, I was a little bit surprised that he wasn't pushing the pace more. You know, I thought he'd come harder and push more and really try to exhaust me with wrestling and grappling. But it didn't come, that didn't come to fruition. But the, the striking part, I think I nailed it. Well, I'll preface this by saying I had you up 30-27. I thought you won all three rounds. But I mentioned after the second round, the judges may have been very confused by what Ricky was doing. And if you're cage side, you're not seeing the broadcast feed. We're seeing exactly what's going on 
from the vantage point of the best camera available, whereas they're sitting cage side and they're seeing it from their vantage point. And I said, if you're going to bet on this fight live right now, there's a chance that they just don't understand what's happening and they, that they give Tercios the nod because he's doing all, he's throwing all kinds of stuff, tons of volume in terms of output, but didn't actually land anything. So, yeah. And I was actually correct. Had he won the third round, he would have won the fight on the judges' scorecards, which to me is baffling. But um, I just think that we have to consider how judges are watching these fights and that while you were landing with such accuracy and you were landing the bigger shots, he was just doing a lot more in the yeah. eyes of somebody who's watching if they don't know what they're watching. Yeah, and you know, like if I were to dive in deeper into the, the judges' scorecard, I found it weird that the one judge that gave me round one didn't give me round two, and the two judges that gave me round that didn't give me round one gave me round two, which is weird. I, I, I just find it weird how the same judges followed each other, and the other did the opposite of them, but they all agreed on round three. <laughs> and they all gave me round three, so it was super weird. Like even in the like when you listen to the the fight, the, he only landed three strikes in round one. I landed ten. Like I, I don't know, it was. I guess it did work. I guess his strategy of yelling and screaming and putting on a show worked to some extent in the first, but then it fizzled out by the end of the fight. They saw right through it, which I'm happy. And you know, I will say that the yelling and screaming kind of did, you know, like uh, this not not distract me, but like uh, it kind of threw off my rhythm in terms of he became more unpredictable. Yeah, absolutely. And he only, he only landed, I think, 12% of his strikes in the first two rounds, which like you, yeah. you never see low accuracy like that because he was just throwing whatever. He was throwing the kitchen sink at you, but nothing you, – you weren't there. Like, you were out of there. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't there. And like, I will say, like, it, it probably comes down to a couple of things. I think like, like I had him between a, a rock and a hard place. Like, if he was going to step in, he knew that I was going to try to box him inside boxing and like throw heavy punches like overhands and, and hooks. And maybe where – he was. I couldn't reach him, and he couldn't really reach me. Yeah, he, he did a good job of controlling range, but I, I thought that when you did get your opportunities and when you were in, in your preferred range, you made it count. And I think yeah. that that was very apparent to anybody watching yeah, the fight. Yeah, he hit him hard. Yeah, part of, the, part of the initial game plan was because he, he kind of has like a, a shorter waist, long arms and long legs. So the strategy basically was that we had to punch when he punched or go second, like wait for him to like draw him out and then block it and answer back because it was going to be hard for me to reach his head because if he leans back, he's very far away from me. Yeah, he, he's very long for the division as well. So it is difficult to, uh, yeah. to telegraph that range. But, so I have to either block and answer back or put the same. So I was really trying to do that and I was hoping to hit um, the fact that I hit harder than him, that it would make it seem obvious that I was trying to end the fight, you know, like I was trying to let bigger strikes compared to him. Yeah, I thought that was very apparent. So, George St. Pierre was at the fight. Did you know he was coming? Yeah, so GSP, uh, he had messaged me because uh, he, he knew that I was fighting, but he didn't know which weekend it was. And when uh, he found out that I was on the same weekend as him in Vegas, he reached out to me. He's like, hey, I'm going to be there in Vegas. What time is your fight? I, I want to try to make it. I said, okay, great. Would you want to be in my corner? He said, just let me know what time and, I could, and I'll tell you. So originally, I was supposed to fight at 5.30 p.m. So I told him that. And he, he had a, uh, a charity event that he had to be at at 6.30. So it was all set up for him to come see me, uh, come be there for my fight. But then during the week, there was a couple of fight cancellations. So uh, they had to reshuffle the card. And then my, card, my fight ended up being later on the card at 6.30 p.m. So he wasn't going to be able to make it to corner 
But he said, oh, look, I'll pass by and come see you before the fight and give you a little talk. I said, okay, great. So I was expecting to, to see him backstage a little bit, uh, but I knew he wasn't going to be able to stay for the fight because of the time uh, change. My favorite part of it was watching George watching fights. Like, he was front row for some of the fights before yours, and he looked like, How, why did I ever do this? That was like the look on his face when he was watching the fights, in my opinion. Why he, why he never did what? No, like, he, he just, I don't think, I think he's watching it and he's like, I can't believe that I did this. This was my life. He's, he, he looks oh, like he's yeah. like, he's you like know, disturbed by the fights almost. You know, George, he loved everything about the lifestyle, but he hated the actual fighting. And he tells me that all the time. And I always tell him, I don't believe him. I always tell him, George, there's no way it's impossible. I'm like, you must love fighting, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, Amen. He's like, you don't understand. I love the freedom of the lifestyle that you get to train twice a day and have free time. I love traveling. I love the money that you make. I, I love the sponsorships. I, lo I love everything that comes with it. But he's like, fighting itself, he's like, it's not for me. <laughs> he's something else, that guy. I'm, but go back and watch the card. Watch when he's sitting front row. I think it was like the Courtney Casey fight. Like you can just see the look on his face. Like wow. Like I, I don't miss this at all. No, no. He, he, I think like yeah, you're right. He's he's actually done with it now. I think it's really behind him. I don't know if he'll ever come back. But I would say that it's a possibility that we may see him do something else, like maybe like a jujitsu match, or like a cool uh, you know wrestling match or something like that. Because he still rolls and wrestles, but he no longer spars or anything like that, and he's in great phenomenal shape. So I don't know if anybody is interested, but maybe, I don't know, if like a Khabib or like a big superstar from the UFC would want to do like a, like a sub-only grappling match with GSP. Maybe that would intrigue him. Now everybody's doing George dirty because I think the UFC team, the digital team, caught up with him at the fights. And they were like, if you were to come out of retirement and fight three guys, who would you want them to be? And he was like, well, I'm not coming out of retirement. You know, I've got no interest in fighting. It's all behind me. But if I was, you know, the only guys that would interest me was like Usman, um, Shemaev, and Khabib. But he's like, but they're never going to happen because I'm not coming out of retirement. And then you're seeing these articles come out. And it's like, who's, this is who George St. Pierre would fight if he, decide, if he comes out of retirement. So, like, it makes it seem like the door's open. But he, like, firmly closes the door several times in the interview. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he wants to take any more punches. But listen, I, if I was, like, somebody in the media, I would ask those guys... If they would want to do like a sub-only match with George and like see if that sparks any interest. I wonder if people would want to see that, you know, because that way, like, look, they can put on a show, they can make some money and the fans can get to see like a dream matchup in a, spe in a special rule set, you know? I think George should just race mixed martial artists, like just do a foot race. Like, oh Olivier always says that him and, him and Olivier just race all the time. They race, yeah, he goes to the track every week. He smoked most most guys. Like he runs really fast. Like I wonder how fast. Like there's no way. I, I don't think Chimaev is that much of a fast runner. I feel like he, maybe he might be a little too tall. Uh, but I don't know about Usman and them if they're explosive and fast. But George is super fast on the track. Yeah, the UFC should just open like Zufa Racing and just have like foot races between <laughs> all their athletes. Oh my god, that'd be hilarious! And then they should make like uh, challenges if you lose. Yeah, well, you know, I always wonder about like. The Ultimate Fighter and bringing back old coaches for the Ultimate, like having them coach and just have George in that environment, but he's not going to fight. Like I think that would be interesting to see. Like if you had a George St. Pierre versus I don't know, like Matt Serra or something like that, like old rivals come back just to to coach the uh, the teams. Actually, that's another great idea. I think that might something that could be something that interests George because even now George he still loves to teach. 
like giving back and teaching martial arts is something he loves to do. And I would love to see him get John, Faraz, Greg Jackson all back together and put and uh, be in the Ultimate Fighter house would be hilarious. Like teaching those guys would be amazing. Oh, I remember the two seasons that George, I think he only he was the coach for two seasons. Is that right? Uh, I thought, I, I don't know. I can't remember. Well, there was the one where he brought in Skarboski and he came in and like it was yeah. one of the best moments in the show's history where he's coming in and he's just, smo- he's like hammered and he's just smoking all these guys <laughs> that are in the tough house. And then the other yeah, one. exactly. That was an amazing one. Oh, and then the other one, actually, that was this. I don't think this was on top. I think this was on like the UFC uh, prime time. I think it used to be called where there was the lead up to the fight, where he brought in Lam, the the Muay Thai specialist. Yes. And Faraz yes, was saying yes, to you that guys, was on prime time. yeah, Faraz was saying to everybody in the room, he's like, don't mess with this guy. Like, don't don't go hard with him because he's gonna hurt you really badly. Yeah, he told everyone like, listen, you you, you scratch him, he's gonna knock you out. Like, uh, just just play with him and have fun, guys. Don't take it personal because he was gonna smoke everybody anyway, but he was gonna do it nicely. But Frost was basically telling everyone, don't poke the bear. Yeah, well, that was probably good advice from your brother. Um, so where do you want yeah. to go from here? I, you know, I, I ha- spoke with um, another featherweight, uh, sorry, another bantamweight this week, Johnny Munoz. And he said he'd love to face you or even Ricky. Um, but he's like, I'm coming off a loss. So I, can't, I can't really be choosy as to who I'm going to face. But do you have any names in mind of people you'd like to face? Well, I don't really have any names in mind because I was really just focused on Ricky. But now I'm going on vacation for a couple of weeks with my wife and kids, and uh, I'm gonna like go through the roster and see like who's interesting for me, and I'm gonna decide then. And then it's gonna have to, you know, be my brother and Sean Shelby's call in the end, and uh, see who's available for like October or November. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna ask: Is timing more important than the opponent? Like, if they said we got to fight for you in on this date, and it's your preferred date, does the opponent really matter that much to you? That's a, it's a good question. I think opponent matters most. You think opponent matters most? Did you say? Yeah. What is there a type of opponent you want next? Like a, a stylistic matchup that uh, you think would be good? Uh, not really. I haven't, I haven't. Honestly, like I haven't really put much thought into it. Like my all focus was uh, Ricky, and then now I've been just enjoying the last few days about like with my family and friends because you know uh, I haven't seen them all week, so I didn't really put much attention in the next fight. You did a Ariel Hawani show, and uh, of course there's this. Uh, yeah. Everybody says you guys look alike. Do you got, do you think that you look like him? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's some resemblance. You know, I just I I also find it just funny that it's it, it caught on as a meme. But uh, I feel like if we're st- standing next next to each other side by side, maybe it would lose some of its charm. But in photographs, we're pretty similar. <laughs> they did the thing where they swapped his face onto yours, and it it did look somewhat similar. Like I, I can see it. Yeah, I can see it for sure. I think I think he wins the nose contest. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's fair. I mean, him and I might be more of a contest than you and him. Oh, my God. You guys have to do a nose-off when you every, you see each other. Uh, I, I think I'm going to pass on that one, but I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I, well, I mean, you and Ariel are both, I guess, from uh, like a Middle Eastern descent. You're both from Montreal. So, I mean, the, the, the ties are clear. The ties are clear, man. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I feel like we may have grown up very similarly since, you know, having the same background and being from Montreal. I feel like we kind of had the same upbringing. And it's nice that we both came from the same place and we've both like made it far in our careers. Yeah, your parents are, are your parents from Lebanon? I think I remember you telling me that. Yeah, yeah my parents arrived here in the, uh, in the 70s, like maybe 73. Yeah, I think, I think Ariel's is similar. Like his family's from Lebanon as well. Yeah, they probably moved right just before the war or as the war was happening like my parents. Yeah, it's just so interesting that uh, you guys both ended up in Montreal as well. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always ask my dad, how come you chose Canada this winter here, you know? But uh, his his reasoning was he had an uncle already here, so it was an easier country to move to. But I don't know what Ariel's story, how come they chose Montreal? You know, because coming from Lebanon, I don't know why why our parents chose a place with a harsh winter. Right, yeah. I mean, it seems counterintuitive, right? It's just like, yeah, it doesn't yeah, make exactly. a ton of sense. Beautiful beach country, and you're moving to a place where it's dark six months of the year, you know, like at 5 p.m., and it's, you know, 30 inches of snow and minus 40. I don't know what they were thinking. Now, Toronto's got a big Lebanese community as well. So, I mean, we've people from all over come here, and it's really cold during the winter. Yeah, exactly. And you guys got some great shawarmas out there, let me tell you. I agree with that. First off, I think Lebanese shawarma is the best kind of shawarma. And we have yeah. some great places out here. Um, I 100% agree with you. I, I haven't gone... There was a place that was like on Bloor Street that was really, really good. That had the Lebanese flag on it. And, and there was also a place called King Shawarma that eventually was no longer owned by the same family. And it shut down really quickly after that because they start, started making it differently. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. But, the, I mean, there was people from a different country that, that started running it. It just it, it wasn't okay. the same as... Uh, as the the way that it's made, I don't know what, how pe- why people from Lebanon make it so much better than everybody else. Yeah, girls, okay, it's okay, go play. You've got the uh, the girls uh, trying to get your attention, so I'll let you yeah. go. I wanted to, uh, I did want to ask you one more question. Yeah, we're, tell me. We're both in Canada, and I said this yesterday. Does it feel like summer is like ending right away? Like when you, when summer starts, do you get the same weird feeling where it's like, oh my god, it's gonna be cold again soon? Or is this just me? You know what I find weird about being in Canada now is that like I find like May is becoming hotter than June and July. <laughs> like I feel like we had a couple of super hot weeks in May, and now we're getting more cold days in July than we are than we did in May. It's weird. I just like I, I relish summer so much from living up here that like it feels like it's going to end so quickly. Yeah, it's passing fast. I, I feel the same way. I feel the same way, and I feel like I, the temperature is not just getting as hot as before. But we're only in like the third week of summer, which is the weird thing about it. Like there's still another like two plus months, but it feels like it's ending yeah. soon. Yeah, and I hope they're great because my daughter's birthday is on this Saturday. They were doing their birthday party, and I hope it's a nice day because we have some water activities planned. Well, happy birthday to your daughters. I'll let you get back to them. Appreciate your time, Eamon, and uh, look forward Thanks to seeing much. what's next for you. Thank you very much, man. Great to be on. I'm pleased to be joined now by R.C. Colgan, who is a recent signee to Bellator, signed last week, and they already got him a fight. However, it looks like it might have fallen through. You got Justin Montalvo was the prospective opponent at Bellator 283, and from what I understand, they're now searching for someone new. Justin had to pull out for some reason. Yeah, correct. Uh, <clears throat> no contracts are signed, so it's not official exactly who we are going to be fighting, but um, from my understanding, it's not going to be the, um, the person that we thought. Do you know what ended up happening with him? I don't. No, I just, uh, you know, kind of funny how it happened. I was mid-training session, and Ali actually was there for the training session and, and uh, just said that, you know, your opponent's out. Mid-training session. I still had another sparring session to go do. And I was like, come on, man. You're going to tell me a little later. But, um, <laughs> yeah, as far as I know, I, I have no idea what happened. You know, if it was an injury, I, I hope he gets better. But, you know, if not, you know, I'm not sure. They said nothing signed yet, but is the expectation that you're still going to be on Bellator 283? Yeah, in Tacoma, Washington, July 22nd, my birthday. I'll be turning 27. Oh, there you go. So that's so you need to stay on that card for that reason. Yeah, I've never I've never done that. So you were a high level wrestler uh, out in Wyoming, I believe it was, um, right. and uh, you ended up deciding to transition to MMA. What what made you decide to do that? Yeah, I mean it was a, it was uh, not the 
traditional transition. Honestly, I was uh, finished with wrestling and I got a normal job. I was doing financial advising, financial for Northwestern Mutual, just a company. And I was not planning on being an athlete anymore. I was my my life was done with as a competing athlete, and I was just gonna work a job. And but that that deep fire was not actually done. You know the the competitive drive was not done. And you know one thing led to another. And you know kind of like by uh, God's grace, I met my current head coach at a gym who also wrestled at Wyoming and we just started uh, training and before I knew it I was like you think I could do this fight stuff and we just ran with it I saw an interview you did with someone uh, I guess it's a local show in Denver that focuses more on lifestyle but they were talking to you about um, why you decided to get into it and you said you and your friends I guess your teammates when you were in college watched UFC events all the time and just said we're going to do this one day yeah, yeah, that was kind of joking, honestly. We, um, yeah, I've been watching MMA since I was like ten years old. You know, all the way from the Pride days, I was watching those guys doing soccer kicks and stuff. And I just thought it was crazy, cool sport to watch, and I enjoyed it. I watched all the UFCs and and stuff going through high school and through college. And you know, my friends and I in college, we did joke about it, like, "Hey, we're gonna fight one day." And both of us are actually fighting now. You know, he's fighting in LFA, uh, and I'm. Now I'm going to be fighting in Bellator, so. And this is, I guess, going to be your fifth professional fight in about a year and a half. So you've, stepped, yeah. you've stayed very busy. Is that by design? You just want to get as much experience as possible? Yeah, I train really hard. You know, I, I, I'm in the gym every day, uh, multiple times a day. So I don't see why I wouldn't stay active. Right. There might be a time when I couldn't like, you know, right after my last Bellator fight, I took some time off because I just had my son. So, you know, it was some downtime to just enjoy family and adapt to that new lifestyle. But outside of that, you know, it was I don't I just didn't see the reason or why I should put the brakes on. And you're training with guys like Justin Gaethje every single day. Does that make fighting easy? I mean, does it make it does it give you a leg up in the actual fights? If you're training with one of the best lightweights on the planet. Yeah, I mean. For sure, you know, and, and it's more than just the training with him. It's it's being able to pick guys' brains like that, you know. A partner like Justin who's, who's um, you know, started from the exact same spot as I have. He's just started as a, a good wrestler who transitioned into fighting and um, had to build himself up. And, you know, it's good just to be able to pick his brain, become friendly with him, you know, we're good friends. So, and just, you know, understand him as a person outside of fighting and obviously the person who he is in fighting and how both of those uh, can work together. I speak to a lot of high-level wrestlers that performed really well collegiately and they often say that most of their time training is spent on striking because you always have that wrestling in your back pocket like muscle memory at this point in time. How yeah. much of your training is focused on, on uh, striking if you were to give me a percentage? Oh, um... Mm. I would say that I'm hitting probably three to four days a week. But there's in those days, I, I could also be doing like a grappling practice and jiu-jitsu and wrestling and stuff like that. But um, probably 50, 60%. You know, I'm, I'm definitely trying to uh, better and learn my, my boxing and kickboxing. What was your first amateur fight like? It was in 2019. Were you worried at all about yeah. it? Like, you know, what was what was that first experience like getting in there? I wasn't at first. 
so when I first signed it, I was just cool. And I was just, my coach told me about it. I signed the, the contract. I was ready to go. And then I did a little bit of research. And then I checked the guy's name out, Googled him. And I was like, oh, dang, this guy also wrestled Division One. I. I was like, oh, man, I don't have that edge over him. Um, well, I was like, I actually on paper was a better wrestler, but you know what I mean? Like he was also a high level wrestler and he'd been training under Bane Muay Thai, um, with Dwayne. So, you know, his striking was expected to be good. So I, I definitely was nervous. Uh, had never been that nervous in my life and haven't been since, but that fight went really well for me. So, um, you know, that just kind of trajected to where we're at now. Maybe it's better you let your coaches do the research then. I mean, if that kind of yeah. thing is going to going to shake you a little bit before a fight, just go in there with a blank face. Don't worry about the guy's background. You're probably better than him anyways. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we we went out and proved that we were. So your last uh, fight was an Eagle FC. What was that experience like? It was great. Um it had good hospitality from Habib and um Rizvan and um it was a great show. They put it together really nice. They have a nice small crowd. Uh, movie theater style seats um, and yeah it was just like a, it was a good event for sure there was other some some high level fighters that were on there um, and yeah it was it was good to be able to perform in front of um, maybe not the biggest crowd but there was a lot of you know known people there you know current UFC fighters and champions and obviously could be you know one of the greatest ever to do it um, so it was good to be like under that pressure, under that microscope, and to perform uh, the way that I did. Do you have a favorite win? You're undefeated in pro and amateur. Is there one that sticks out to you that you particularly enjoy? Um, I guess I would have to say my last one. You know, I, I, I faced some adversity in that fight. And, um, you know, I battled through it as, as the guy that I know I am. But, you know, things are different in a fight compared to wrestling. You know, so there was, it's not a hundred percent sure until you actually go through that stuff in a fight. And I did go through it and, um, we came out with a very dominant win. It's not, I still wanted to get the finish for sure, but, but, um, you know, you know, things played out the way that they did. So it was a little bit difficult to find that. Yeah. That is the longest fight of your career. The only one that's gone to a decision. Are you hoping to prevent that in the future? Now that you've done it, you've experienced it going forward. You don't want any more decisions. Um, I'm not going to say that. I'm, I'm definitely not going to be headhunter, Mr. Trying to, you know, sell it to just get the, the finish. But, yeah, I definitely want to get finishes. You know, finishes is what makes uh, this sport exciting and uh, gets people to want to watch you, which ultimately puts money in your pockets, right? Well, absolutely. And then you don't get paid by the minute. So, I mean, you, you exactly. also have to take that into consideration. Now, the lightweight yeah. division in Bellator, it's kind of wide open. I mean, you can look at the rankings and all that, but I think that it's kind of a level playing field. I think there are some fighters that are really at the bottom end of the rankings, even unranked, that could hang with the champion right now. I, th- I really do think that it's a, a very, um, you know, all of the talent is kind of comparable as you go down the ladder. Do you feel that same way? Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't, there's definitely not like one guy who, but actually, I was going to say, you know, like Gegard Mousasi, but, you know, he actually just got beat. So it's, you know, throws it off for, for a little bit different uh, approach. But yeah, there's definitely not like one guy who's just holding it down, who's just been the dominant guy who's like, this is the guy that you have to beat. You know, and in a year from now, it could be somebody else. And in two years from now, it could be me. And you fought at both welterweight and your last fight was at a catchweight. Are you planning on, on fighting at 55 in, in Bellator? Uh, correct, yeah. 
All right, cool. I just want to make sure of that because I'm talking about the lightweight division here, and I, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. down the ladder, and it looks like you've, you've done welterweight, catchweight, lightweight. I'm not really sure where you're going. Yeah, so the, all my, my prior fights were 70, and that was mainly just because. Um, a couple of them were shorter noticed, um, so we just decided not to cut the weight. And, um, you know, I'm a strong guy, fast guy, um, good skills, so I, I felt confident in being able to give up a little bit of size and still be able to uh, perform well. But, yes, long-term, I am uh, definitely not a welterweight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing weight cutting is not an issue for you either because of your wrestling background. I mean, it's probably second nature at this point in time. What do you walk around at? Um, right now, when I'm training for the fight, or, you know... When I'm sure, I mean, yeah, you've got to fight in two weeks. What do you weigh? Yeah, I'm probably about 75. Okay, so that's about right. That's about where you'd want to be, I'd imagine, for, for 55, two weeks out. Yeah. It's a, it's a good spot. And when you wrestled collegiately, what uh, was your weight class? I wrestled 157 all four years, five years of college. Okay, so that, that's probably what your, what your, I guess, natural weight class would be, given that yeah. you were able to do that for five years. Yeah, 55 is definitely uh, what my career will be majority of. All right, Archie. Well, congratulations. Undefeated, now signed to Bellator MMA. Uh, your first opponent's on the horizon. We're not sure who it is at the time of this recording, but we will find out soon. Uh, appreciate your time, and I uh, look forward to speaking with you again in the future. I appreciate Aaron. A huge thank you to all of our guests, Kamaru Usman, Brian Ortega, Shane Burgos, Charles Jordan, Eamon Zahabi, and Archie Colgan for joining me on this week's show. A pleasure speaking to each and every one of them. So, uh, again, this show is kind of a different hybrid model of the show due to uh, taking a little bit of time off to spend with my family. Gonna be, uh, definitely we'll be covering this Saturday's card. Looking forward to it greatly. Just taking a little bit of time to decompress. It's needed after uh, International Fight Week, followed by uh, another card. You know, cards are, cards are rolling along. Contender Series is coming up soon. I'm going to be going to uh, Niagara Falls, New York, next week for the uh, Association of Boxing Commission's annual conference going to be taking a judging course refereeing course looking forward to that gonna have to somehow multitask the refereeing course overlaps with the ufc being in uh, the united kingdom because of course their time zone is uh several hours ahead of us so it's going to be starting in the afternoon i'll probably have to miss the prelims catch up on them a little bit later but the main card should have you covered on that one that'll be a lot of fun and then the following week i'll be in dallas for a UFC 277, the rematch between the new champion, Juliana Pena, and the perhaps the best pound-for-pound pound female fighter of all time, at least up there, Amanda Nunes. We'll see how Nunes looks in her new camp. Greatly looking forward to that. Interim flyaway title on the line, Brandon Moreno taking on Kai Kara France. City kickboxing, looking to add some more hardware after we saw Volkanovski and Israel Adesonia retain their titles. That'll be a lot of fun. But before we go, we of course have a card this weekend. So we're going to do a, a, a mini preview. Mini preview on, uh, on this one. Look at some of the odds. Look at some of the props. See what we got. We've got Brian Ortega, our friends at FanDuel, providing the lines here. Minus 174. Yair Rodriguez, plus 136. This is an interesting one. I might actually bet this two ways. I might take the Ortega submission at plus 280 and the Rodriguez decision at plus 380. Just kind of, I think those are the two most likely outcomes of the fight. I think that, I mean, there's, a, there's always a chance Ortega gets a KO. There's always a chance that Rodriguez gets a KO. But I think 
You could also just take Ortega by submission and then Yair money line at plus 136. You just put a little bit more on... Like, if, if you think that that's the way Ortega's going to win the fight, personally, I think that that's going to be the outcome. If I was going to predict the outcome, I think Ortega finds a submission sometime over the five rounds. The fight doesn't go to a decision. is minus 148. So one thing you could do is you could follow that trend that I keep talking about with the featherweight division, how we haven't seen a single top 10 featherweight... Well, sorry, we've seen only only a single top 10 featherweight, rather, that's been stopped in the last three years. So if you want to follow that trend, fight goes to a decision, plus 112. It was plus money for Emmett versus Cater as well. I think if it goes to a decision, Yair Rodriguez has a better chance of winning, personally. I think that it's going to be an Ortega stoppage or it's going to be a Yair Rodriguez decision, personally. So let's see how it plays out. But I like the Ortega subline, plus 280. Amanda Lemos is taking on Michelle Watterson, according to our friends at FanDuel. Minus 440 for Lemos, plus 310 for Watterson. This is an interesting one because Lemos has really good KO powers, plus 230 by KO. But Watterson also doesn't get finished very easily. The thing is, I think Lemos is going to be a lot bigger than Watterson. Like, Watterson is probably more of a natural atom weight. But at the same time, you know, how many times have we seen Watterson get KO, like, stopped by a KO? I'll actually look that up and give you an answer in a moment. But she's proven to be very tough, very durable. Though at this point, 36 years old, who knows if the same durability exists. She's been knocked out just once in her career. And it wasn't even in the UFC. It was by someone named Alina Reed at uh, an event in 2009. So we're talking 13-plus years ago. So she's proven to be very durable. Submission losses. She has three. two of the, uh, Sorry, only one of those coming in the UFC at the hands of Rose Namajunas. So... The Lamos by decision odds, if you think that she's going to survive, is minus 115. I think I'd probably lean more towards the KO line, honestly, at plus 230. If, if you like, if you want to look at a, a Lamos prop, personally, we'll probably just stay away from this one, to be perfectly honest. Shane Burgos, minus 210. Charles Jordan, plus 162. I'm not seeing a lot of props for this one. Maybe they're somewhere else here. I don't know if the props are up for this particular one. Surprisingly, not, not a lot of them. Maybe because this fight was announced a little bit later on in the game, but uh, I have no idea. The money line is Burgos minus 210, Jordan plus 162, and I think that's probably around where it should be. This is going to be a really tough matchup for Charles Jordan, but also a tough matchup for Burgos, right? Like, I think Jordan is going to bring it to him. I do think that it goes to a decision, though. I I, I don't know if there's a, odds for that yet, but uh, if that ends up in the plus money situation, then I might take the decision prop. But I'll probably stay away from this one. I, I like these guys too much. I feel like uh, I don't really want to have a, a horse in this race. Not that I really cheer for anybody one way or another, but I don't really feel that comfortable making a pick for this fight, to be honest. I think it's a really good matchup. Muslim Salikov, minus 162. The comeback on Li Jinglang, plus 126. This, I think this is a dogger pass, honestly. I think Li Jinglang has proven to be very uh, tough, very durable. We saw, obviously, what happened against Hamza Shemaev. I think that's kind of an outlier fight for him. I think he's the more well-rounded fighter. Muslim Salikov, you know, he's the king of kung fu for a reason. Really good striker. The KO props for both these guys. Lee is plus 360. Salikov plus 300. The Lee by submission prop, plus 1400. That's an interesting one to me. Because I know that, uh, you know, Muslim Salikov does have something of a, uh, of, a, of a Sambo background. But Jinglang has four submission wins under his belt. None of uh, his, none of them have been in the UFC. They were all, you know, on kind of the regional circuit uh, in China. 
but I think he has the the potential to get a, a guillotine choke here against Muslim Salikov. I don't know what's Salikov's situation in terms of submissions. He's been submission, submitted twice. Once in the UFC by Alex Garcia, and uh, once a long time ago, back in 2012, almost 10 years ago. But uh, that's a that's a that's a juicy line for me. I like if you're gonna, that, that might be a dart of the week for me. Plus 1400 lead by decision by a submission. Plus 1400. I like that. Good prop. Misha Tate minus 174. Lauren Murphy plus 136. Uh, kind of a pass for for me on this one. I I, I think it goes to a decision. I don't think we're going to see a finish in this one. So if you want to use that as a parlay piece, like at the over two and a half, something along those lines, I'm sure it'll be juiced up quite a bit, but I, I'm fairly confident this one goes to a decision. The Tate by decision line is not, I, they're not up yet on uh, on FanDuel, but based on the offshore trends, like Murphy by decision might be the better play. You're getting a lot more value on that. And uh, I think that's how she would win the fight. But uh, it's kind of a pass for me. I, I I'm not sure what to think. I mean, Misha Tate never fought at 125. I mean, I think I think maybe back in the day, but in the UFC, she's never fought at 125. So uh, I'm not exactly sure how this one's going to play out. I think Lauren Murphy's a really good fighter, really tough fighter. I mean, her last fight against Shevchenko, she's not at Shevchenko's level, but very few at, in the flyweight division are, and she's going to be a tough out for Misha Tate. Sue Muderji minus 295, Matt Chanel plus 220. I'll probably end up on the Muderji by KO prop. I think that, I mean, this guy's just got big power. But uh, we'll have to see what the line is on that one when it comes out. But I, I do think Sumaderji ends up getting this one done, and I think he gets a finish. Bill Algeo versus Herbert Burns, recently booked minus 166 Algeo, plus 130 for Herbert Burns. Um, I would probably go dog or pass on this one, but I don't have a strong read for it. It was just announced so in the last little bit. So uh, the, both guys lost their opponents. They ended up matching them up together. Herbert Burns coming off a bad injury has been on the shelf for some time. But, uh, I mean, the guy's just training day in and day out with really tough fighters. He's a really good fighter in his own right. So I'm kind of – I think that this is a dogger pass, but I'll probably just end up passing. Puna Soriano, minus 295. Dolce Lungembula, plus 220. I can kind of see why the line is this wide. I'm not really sure where Lungembula beats Puna Soriano. Is he going to be able to out-wrestle him? I doubt it. So Soriano – you might want to just see what the lines are like. See if the KO line or the decision line, maybe play one of those. But uh, kind of a, another kind of stay away from me. But I, I'd be confident parlaying Punis Ariano at this price. Maybe you parlay him with the uh, Tate Murphy over two and a half. That might be something I take a look at. Dustin Jacoby versus Da Unjung. I'm done betting against J- J- Dustin Jacoby or recommending plays against Dustin Jacoby. He's he's really he's the real deal, man. And I think that, that he's proven that. I think that he's... A better all-around talent than Da Unjung. Da Unjung may be able to take him down and hold him there. I doubt it. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go with the, the Jacoby prop. Uh, the Jacoby with this one might take the decision prop, depending on what the price on that is. But uh, that's the side I would lean. In fact, I'd parlay Jacoby as well with, with you know in certain situations. I think that he should probably be a bigger favorite in this spot. Jack Shore, minus 174. Ricky Simone, plus 136. Tough fight to call because Ricky Simone is so good and so difficult to stop. So... You have to look at it and, and think, how good is Jack Shore? And I think Jack Shore is really good. So I think he's the rightful favorite here, but not going to be an easy win for him. And Ricky Simone's wrestling might give him trouble. Probably going to stay away from that one altogether. I don't even know if it's a dogger pass. Uh, I, I think it's just a total pass, honestly. Um, Dustin Stolzfus, plus 132. Dwight Grant, minus 170. So what I might look at for this one is if you can get a good line on Stolzfus by decision, or sorry, by submission, rather, that might be a way to look. Like if you can get it at, at like plus five hundred or above, 
that might be the direction I'd go in, but uh, I don't think I, I think that Grant is the rightful favorite here as well. And the Grant KO prop might be worth a look at too, but uh, depending on, on what it's at. But if it's like under, like plus two hundred, probably would, would stay away from that one. Uh, Emily Ducati, who was recently an Invicta champ, taking on a former Invicta champ in her own right, Jessica Panay. Minus one forty Ducati, plus one ten Jessica Panay. If there's a good Panay by submission prop, maybe I take that, but nah, another kind of pass for me. So stay away from that one. So if I was going to make some TSN Edge, early, early TSN Edge, recommend to play Leans. We're going to go Ortega by submission, plus 280. We're going to go Lemos by KO at plus 230. I think I might go in that direction. She just has heavier hands than I think anybody Waterson's faced, and her knockdown rate is exceptional. I'm going to go with um, the over 2.5 in Murphy and Tate, parlayed with Puna Soriano. I think you get probably around even money on that. And uh, I'm going to wait on some lines for uh, Sumuderji by KO or, or Inside the Distance and see what those lines look like before I jump into either of those. Um, Dustin Jacoby, I think you could parlay, depending on uh, if you there's something else you like. That's probably what I would lean towards. i going to pick my spots. That's kind of more uh, what I'm looking for. Oh, and the uh, Li Jing Lang by Submission Prop at plus 1,400 is my, uh, my dart. That's the dart I'm throwing for, for this particular card. We'll see how he does against the uh, the king of kung fu, Muslim Salikov. I love watching that guy compete. It's going to be a fun fight. Anyhow, big thanks to everybody who's on the show. Big thanks to you for tuning in till the end. Uh, please feel free to subscribe, rate, review the show. Always appreciate your patronage. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.